Well, why don't we start with, uh, this is really not related to TDX or anything, but Microsoft closing almost all their retail stores. There was no reason for them to exist. Uh, my kids love them. Well, because they liked playing with the VR stuff. But right. You can't, that, that's gross now. That, that's true. Yeah, you don't want to put a, a headset on yeah. right now. Well, I mean, yeah, you, you, I feel like the, the current time we're in though right now, you have to like, that's an asterisk, right? I mean, you no, can't that was really... gross even before what's happening well, now. That's true. I mean, I, I wanted to try those things out, but then I saw the people using them like this. That's gross. I don't, I don't want to wear <laughs> well, that. What does that mean? Saw the people that using them. Person that's been on there for like an hour. Because <laughs> I would, I would walk by and go, oh, I want to try that out, and I'd come back, and they're still like thirty minutes later, they're still doing it, and I'm like, oh. Yeah. It's got to be sweaty by now. I will say that, you know, when you go to the mall, like this mall we had there, when we still had an Apple store until Apple pulled them all out of Collin County or whatever county this is. Mm. Um, you know, you look at the Apple store, always super crowded. And you go to the Microsoft store and not very crowded usually. It's because Apple pulls the trick of making you wait for like 30 minutes before anyone talks to you. <laughs> well, they also created a whole culture around it, right? I mean, it, I don't think Microsoft ever successfully did that. No, they had good stores and they had good products it's a demo, but other than that, I mean, it just... I thought it was well done. I mean, every time it I was went well in, done. Yeah. I mean, they they copied and pasted the, the Apple model pretty, pretty well, but... They did. They just never got that, that... They never got that community behind them that really just bought completely into the culture. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in the Microsoft camp. I'm, I'm on a Surface Laptop 3 right now, that, but I, I've never been in the Microsoft store. At least I haven't in several years. Whereas I've actually been in the Apple store because... We have other Apple products, and it just makes sense to go to the Apple store for them. That, see that, and that's fascinating because you know you've got one foot in both camps. You know you've got products from both companies, and you know you go to the Apple store, but you don't go to the Microsoft store. That's you know what it probably is. You can't on their new release stuff. You can't get it from Amazon overnighted. Really? Probably. Hmm. When when I think about if if I'm ready to spend that much money on something, I kind of want that instant gratification of going and, of just having it. So going to the store and picking it up and just grabbing it is I mean, i'm a hermit i don't want to go to a store but i will go to an apple store to pick up my stuff because i want it now because oh, really? so i've I'm, made that decision no. i get everything delivered to me i don't ever want to go in a store no. but oh so and you used to have to because you had to you had to get your phone set up too that was the other thing you had to go in to get your phone and get it set up really yeah i don't, I don't i've never done that you've never done that i don't think so yeah when That's they first came out you had yes you did i remember you went and stood in line at a no was that an at t store yeah, when the, when the for yeah, the first iPhone, that, that, that was just to get it though, because that's the only way you could get it. Yeah, but now I just, I mean, every, if I can order it online, everything's getting ordered. But I wanted to say, wasn't this Microsoft's second go at stores? Didn't they? Was it like the late '90s or early 2000s? They tried stores and they didn't work. And then I was also thinking of uh, who else was it? Gateway 2000 that had stores. Do you remember those? Yeah, ga yeah, Gateway had stores. They were like almost like CompUSA style stores. Yeah. Oh wow. It, but obviously heavily branded toward them. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, retail is a tough business, especially now that um, so much, so many people don't want to go to stores and they just want to order stuff online. It, you know, I think Apple's some somehow it seems to have beaten that trend. People, even though people like to order things and have them delivered to their porch, people still go into Apple stores. Well, that's, so. I've been in there for service, so that's one thing yeah, that keeps people going that's, in. That's why I go in usually, for if I need to have something looked at or I don't know, exchange something, return something. But also sometimes there's you want to try out the new shiny that's very expensive and you kind of want to try it out. You want to put it in your hands. That's true. I mean, I, if I if I really wanted to look at something and play with it before I bought it, you know, just to make sure, I, I would go into the store. But for most of the stuff I buy, I'm pretty sure I know I want it anyway. So it's just an easy thing to buy it online. 
Yeah, I'm embarrassed by the frequency that Amazon visits my front door. I mean, it's it's everyone kind of ridiculous. I, I think we, it's, we joke it in is. my house that if if we don't order something, Amazon's going to send a search party. Yeah, I, yeah, I would say. Exactly. I mean, more often than not, on a daily basis, we will get you know Amazon stops at our door. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's we've. I think we've already had them show up twice today. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're you're a multi dayer, huh? <laughs> or multiple uh, yeah, times absolutely. per day. <laughs> well, the, the thing is, is I order things and my wife orders things, and there's very little overlap between the two. You know, I'm ordering. F- fun things. My wife is actually like taking care of the family in the house <laughs> yes, and things like right. that. But, but yeah, so, I mean, I, I just had paddles show up for, for my kayak. And before that I had some, some bait show up and she had like some food show up and some bulk paper towels. So, but yeah, they, they pretty much come to our front porch yeah. a few times a day on average. And, you know, I feel bad about all the, I think about all the gas that's being used and all these cardboard boxes, but th- you know, there's, there's these arguments that show that it's still better for it's, the environment because yeah, we, pretty scale. much. Yeah. Instead of us all going to the store where, yeah. I don't know. That's well, that's, I, I, I think the jury's still out on that. I don't know. Well, guys, we had, um, the uh, first ever online trailhead DX this week and all the, of course, announcements that preceded it. I don't think there was really much, you know, they, they kind of issued their press release or, or lifted the embargoes a couple of days before, yeah, right. The, the actual event. stuff trickled in, but I think we learned some some new things during. I, I tried to I tried to watch as much as I could, but I was quite busy still um, when that was happening. So I kind of had to bail at some point. I got to watch a good part of it. Um, I had a lot of it playing in the background while I was doing stuff, but I, I did get to p- put some attention to it. That, there was one that drove a tremendous amount of excitement on the Slack channel that. I had to take a call that lasted about a half an hour and I came back and I saw like four pages. That's John. That's when I reached out to you. I was like, what is going on here? All oh, right. Um, it was the one where they talked about uh, the new uh, Sokol Fields uh, function and just a lot of just, it was almost just like a hodgepodge of things. So I was trying to catch up on that today because I think I missed probably one of the three. Yeah, it was part of that API dis- discussion. And yeah. I actually caught that session late or I, I think I had it on, but I was doing stuff at the same time. And it right when I decided to refocus back on it was when they started finishing up on the composite uh api stuff yeah. and they s- transition into the sockle stuff well i didn't i didn't see either of those so maybe no i will i i should take that back i mean i saw people talking about the the field thing i, I guess it's, you know salesforce's version of like a select star right and or yeah. or you can select field sets i guess or something like that it, it's what i didn't get to see a full-on demo so i'm not sure what options are going to be available but the example they showed was there was a function in place of a selector and you would you would say find open parentheses all close parentheses and i think the intent yeah. is that you're going to pass it something other than all some kind of keyword or something that lets you configure what fields to, to select but are I'm we talking about saucel or sockle sockle yes yeah okay yeah, query language and so, i think that yeah i think there was one to get all fields there was one to get all custom fields I, and I, I say this i missed the session i think i saw somebody just flash a screenshot real quick but I definitely need to follow up on that um, pretty soon. But, you know, there were a few things in that session that sounded like they were pretty interesting. I've, I've got to go and see if I can find a recording of it once they post it. Yeah. yeah. So there was that. And then the, the other big thing was the increase in the character limit. I didn't see that. For SQL. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I don't know that I hit that. It, what are people doing? Like building massive strings at runtime? That- it's called SEL star tab, <laughs> which is yeah. uh, IC for right, select to, all. To complete all. Yeah. To, yeah. And uh, yeah, you can run into that limit. Oh, really? Even I worry about running to that limit. If I have a builder, I do in my whatever builder I build does inspect the ultimate string that gets built. 
to see if it fits within the limit. And when you're going over, is it because you've built like a massive where clause where you're like, you know, you're looking for like 10,000 different IDs or something like that? Or, or yeah, what, what's causing what you to go over? It. Yeah, it's, yeah, I've done it when I'm doing an in on a, a large list mm-hmm. of IDs. Yeah, I mean, yeah. th- this is underneath underneath the plugin, but there, there are times when I have to go out and say, give me this information about all the Apex classes with this, these IDs or all the custom fields with these IDs. And I, I actually have to chunk that up according to the max query, uh, query string limit. Yeah. We have better options in Apex now, but if you're talking external, like that's where I, where I did a lot of the checking and did a lot of the builders was for integrations where I had to create a query string and send that to Salesforce through the API. Internally in Apex, you can solve that with variables and binding, but but when you're talking integration and you're writing queries like that, that's where I had to, to have all that checks and balances. Yeah. Interesting. Well, and Scott, you mentioned the plugin. Um, so I, we should take this opportunity to introduce this, uh, again, strange yet familiar voice on the show, which is uh, Scott Wells, uh, famous for the illuminated cloud, uh, Salesforce IDE. I don't know exactly what the what the uh, branding and catchphrase is for it, Scott, but... <laughs> I, there's no, there's no close phrase. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you got it as close as you needed to. Okay. Uh, but you've been on the show before, so uh, people will, people I, I will actually recognize. Not. We, what? We, oh, you know what? I take it back. La- last Dreamforce, I did a quick, like, two-minute snippet. Okay. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and then there's the one that we and lost. and I were going to do one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was the one we oh, lost. Yeah, there was the one here I know I had the in mic Austin. in front of you at some point, but yeah. It's not the yeah. first time I lost something in Austin, I can tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I can, t- you know, uh, there's, there were, there were a couple of conspicuous, um, absent absences, absentees from TDX. One was, uh, can we just, can we just call it is fourth industrial revolution dead? I think so. Is it? Okay. <laughs> so that just, we couldn't get that to work for us. No. Just, okay. Um, and the other conspiracy, did it, did anyone see chatty? I'm not buying into that conspiracy. <laughs> What's the conspiracy? Well, well, because we have the new... Uh, what, what Salesforce is, Anywhere. Salesforce Anywhere. Which has a new chat product built into it that's not, oh, that's not sure. Chatter. Well, it's, it's more than just chat. It's chat and collaboration and screen sharing with, with cursor mapping and everything. Yeah, that kind of Google really Doc cool. style, right? Yeah. yeah. It, I will tell it's you... It's basically Quip, right? Uh, I, I, don't, think they, I, don't I think they said in that presentation that they lessons learned from Quip or something like that. When I, when I read the press release for Salesforce Anywhere, I even posted that internally, and I said, "Does it? Is there? Can anyone see anything new here, or is this complete marketing BS?" And everyone's like, "It sounds just like marketing to me." But then I saw the, I watched the video, and I'm like, "Okay, well, there's clearly some new things here." Yeah, no, it's it's definitely new. It's not it's not and and it's not lipstick on a pig or anything. I apologize in advance for the dumb question, but is there is there an increased license or cost to this? Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I doubt they even went into <laughs> on new feature Salesforce. On, I've learned this for, from asking that question many times to a Salesforce product manager. And on new things like this, the first thing they always ask you is, "How much are you willing to pay for this?" Exactly. Yeah. What's your budget? <laughs> yeah, and then pricing is still being determined. Yeah. 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 Well, there was a question in True to the Core about about Chatter about whether it, it's still even relevant, and it, it, it was a bit of a. a I wouldn't say evasive, but it was not a, a, a totally conclusive answer. Uh, but they did say, we do feel like the socialization it provides and things like that are valuable. We still use it internally. So we're just trying to figure out where it belongs at this point or, you know, an evolution of it, which I would assume any little plush that goes with that would, you know, end up in the same place. <laughs> yeah. 
I get. I mean, I, I don't know if we're jumping around or if we're trying to have some kind of format, but True to the Core was interesting. I felt like there was a few nuggets of just people speaking off the cuff there that was interesting. Like S controls? Like S controls. How was that interesting? I thought those were dead a long time ago. No, it was a no. Joke somebody, question. Oh, okay. I think okay. even yeah. the moderator, I think even she knew it was a joke question because the way she presented it, but then no one took it as well, a joke. She went to Parker first and Parker yeah. was, you know, he, he's basically like, you know, S controls were, they played an important role. Why don't we send that over to, uh, you know, whoever? And then, and then effectively they were giving a very careful answer around it. And it just started seeming silly. I mean, at some point, I'm sure everyone knew it was a joke, but yeah. not early enough. That's funny. Well, I think it was part, I think there was a bit of nostalgia there too, because even Parker yeah. kind of lit up a little bit talking about S controls and when they first came out with them for that split second. Um, and a few other people chimed in. So I think there was a bit of nostalgia that, that kind of started the ball rolling yeah. and then it just never stopped. Maybe so. Maybe he, maybe he didn't get Could nostalgia because that's probably one of his first babies, right? In terms of... Uh, that's his firstborn in terms yeah, of like development capability. On the new stuff, he really doesn't have much to say. I mean, he's he's. I think he's really far removed from yeah, all of it yeah. at this point. He's just someone else. Also <laughs> mentioned, and I noticed this as well on the the uh, low code event that Parker seemed a little bit on the weaker side, a little bit on the tired side, and mm. a few people mentioned that on this on this one too. And it did seem like he was a little bit either out of it, like he wasn't really paying attention, or he was just really tired. Maybe he needs some B twelve. I hear yeah. that helps. <laughs> Yeah, the stress I mean, of working from home. I don't know. Well, and I mean, how long has he? I mean, he's been in sales. He was a, he's a, a founder, right? Co-founder. So he's yeah. been doing this a long time. Yeah. I mean, I, I I I don't blame him if he's. It's just I, I've been around Parker before. I've seen him like at, at one of the other events and things like that. And he's been really energetic and you know had really great answers and quick answers for things. So this seeing him this way is new to me. This is different. This yeah. is a change. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, the earlier true to the course, he was definitely more authoritative and more energetic in his answers. Yeah. I mean, at some point he's got a, uh, he's like, I think to John's point, you know, he's probably not near as involved in the actual building things and, and architecture. And he, you know, he's going to pass that baton on and essentially become like a, an emeritus slash, you know, I'm a co-founder still here, you know, but, yeah. um, can we, uh, pause for a beverage identification? <laughs> uh, sure. So Scott, maybe you've, maybe you've heard of this, but, um, I brought John cause he's probably never had this before. Um, a beer from Maine Beer Company called Lunch. Mm. You, I have not heard of it. I really okay. So this is this is one of these beers that I used to you know pay people in Freeport, Maine to stand in line and buy me a case of this and ship it to me. <laughs> Just um, like great soda. It, it's one. It was one of the you know along with like Hetty Topper from Alchemist. It's one of the very oh, yeah. early you know New England kind of IPAs or whatever. Yeah, that gained almost. Uh, like a, a mystery around it because it was so inaccessible. Yep. But pretty easy. What, what is it style-wise? It, this is just India Pale Ale. So the, oh, this is okay. 7%. So they have lunch, um, which is funnily enough, actually named after a whale. I learned that story. A whale named Fairly lunch. recently. Yeah, it was a whale named lunch. Hmm. And then, but then they played on that. So then they created a beer called Dinner, which is a double IPA. <laughs> oh. I, don't think there's a, I don't think there's a whale called Dinner, though. <laughs> Um, and then they have, um, I don't know, several others, but they just started getting distributed in Texas, which is the only reason I have this. Oh, have, yep. to, have to check it out. Yeah. So I had, it, um, I had it on tap recently and then bought some bottles. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah. It's a good beer. I haven't I'd, had a good beer in a while. I try to force John to drink good beers. I've been, uh, living off of, uh, grocery store beers and whiskey. 
Hey, how about the, uh, did, it, I don't know if you guys were watching the, the chat window on the, during Trailhead DX, but no, the, we all turned that off as quickly as we could. The, the LinkedIn vultures. Yeah. It's just, oh, it, they, they've just ruined everything. Yeah. With that. Well, I mean, they, the moderators basically said, stop it, or we're going to have to turn off all links. And we have some links we want to share. And it seemed to, seemed to quell down a little bit. And then it flared back up again later. Yeah. yeah. I've, 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 that's, that's, I've never seen that chat for you though. It's, I don't think it's ever a good idea to have that style of chat. I guess I've, I've just always seen it abused. Yeah. Go on Twitch and you'll look, read oh. the chat, go on, on a uh, YouTube live, read the chat. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's never been a good idea. <laughs> it's just, it's just too attractive for trolls. Turns out humans are horrible. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you kind of hold them up for a couple of months and, <laughs> There's all this, uh, you know, pent up energy. Hold them up for a few minutes and take away their jobs too. You know, and, what do we have? Well, yeah, and, and raise their anxiety levels. And I mean, there's yep. so many different aspects to that. Yeah, I mean, if I didn't have a job right now, I'd probably be spamming the chat with my LinkedIn too. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah. There's probably a cause and effect relationship. Yeah, there. yeah. Um, okay, so what have we? So we talked about Salesforce anywhere briefly. Was there much? Okay, here's what I noticed when I went back and looked at the video. So to me, I'm trying to boil this down to like, what the hell is this thing? Um, because the press release was very long and did not, I didn't see much in it in terms of like, oh, that's a specific thing that, you know, when, you, when Salesforce is your press release about a new product, you're like, okay, well, what exactly is it? Is it actually a thing or is it not a thing? Um, but this actually looks like a thing. I mean, it looks like an you know, enhancement to Salesforce. And it looks like Salesforce plus, uh, they mentioned Zoom or in the video I saw, like they had some logos at the bottom. So it's like powered by Zoom and AWS Chime, which is not their first usage of AWS Chime. Um, I think the new or relatively new is it one of the service consoles that uses Chime, which is AWS's like real time. Uh, it's like a it's like a service like a service desk product or thing. type of thing. Yeah, well, it's 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 intended for like you know real time chat and video and whatever with for like customer service type situations. <clears throat> Um, so I had that, and then and then my note was to myself, which is like, hey, is this thing completely orthogonal to Chatter? Like, is this because it had you know all this new chat and everything? And I'm just like, what? Where does? I was just wondering where does Chatter fit into this? Um, but then they have that you know the the kind of Google Docs style uh, like indicators that where someone anyone else who's looking at like a record you're looking at like what I don't know I don't what's it looking at your eyeballs I don't even know because. Or, or maybe what field you're, you're, you've got focused that you can, mm -hmm. if you see someone else is like on a field or whatever, you'll, you'll see that. I'm not sure what the value about that is, but. Well, I don't um, think it replaces chatter. And I don't think chatter will go away. I just think its role will, will kind of just fade more into yeah. the background. Yeah. I mean, I think it serves a good purpose in terms of just record changes and kind of non-real-time communications on what's going on in the system and things like that. But it never, it never lived up to the hype of being a communication platform where you know people would actually go there and start trading oh, man, notes do you, you remember those yeah. uh, those articles from you know forbes and business insider and all these guys that were covering salesforce when chatter came out man i don't know there's a lot of chatter about chatter there sure time. was yeah. but there's, well, i mean they I, the whole blitz about business is social right i mean that was the whole thing is oh bringing yeah. Social, yeah the social creating, enterprise how do we how do we forget that enterprise. yeah <laughs> yeah because i mean the whole the whole point was that you're going to have your own internal Facebook, Slack, you know, and, mm -hmm. and in some ways, I think that's what Slack and Teams and things like that have done. I mean, it's it's not quite the same thing, but that's where that type of, of real-time communication, logged communication has gone rather than into a social media type of business tool. Because um, we tried... Social. 
Sorry. Wow. Okay. Came out loud. Over here dancing. Not expect that. Dancing in my chair. That's the. You know what? We we now have the ability to do to do that. We have the audio engineering to do clips and soundboard stuff with remote guests. That's a step up. I guess. And is anyone getting like horrible feedback in their ear, like of their own voice or anything like that? No. Oh, no. Okay. Good. Uh, yeah, the social enterprise. Yeah, that was, that was interesting. Um, you know, there was another piece to the, the anywhere though, which and I can't tell if it was just like a, a a use case they used to demonstrate it and something they just built out custom, but like an it was like an IT service management piece. So they talked about, I think it was like someone called in because their VPN wasn't working or something like that, and then you know the person that was helping them, you know, could see that they were running an old piece of the or old version of the VPN software, and then. You know, they, this person drills in on that on that version. They see that there's you know 820 other people running that same version. So then they realize that oh, I should push this new version out to all these people. And so it's like an IT service management product built into that. But I don't know into if that anywhere? was yeah, it was part of the demo, the video. But that seems like a completely different use case than what they were trying to show. It, but it's about people. You can work from anywhere, and a part of working from anywhere is everyone's on VPN now. Okay. Okay. I guess they were trying to create a scenario, not try to show off a capability. That's what I'm wondering. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Well, so I we have... I don't think we should beat around the bush. I think we should start talking about Code Builder. Yeah, I was going to say, let, that was <laughs> next to my list here. Um, so we had Code Builder, and what that looks like to me is they've taken... So they've, you know, they've been working on this their Visual Studio Code um, plugin, or I don't even know what you call it. Yeah, we have to be clear about that. They are leveraging existing technologies. It's not like they built anything new. They're basically taking yeah, it's like the same code base. I, I think right? this is uh, it's just it's embedded in some web browser that's connected, that's running, that's backed by a VM. But it's still the I think it's the same code base, right? That runs. Yes, it's I'm sure it's the same plugin, right, the same code, code, and everything. It's just now it's being now it's able to be hosted. It's just running on someone else's computer, just like anything else in the cloud. Yes. Well, kind of. I mean, so Microsoft's, uh, so VS Code is all written in JavaScript and Microsoft had already created a product and the name escapes me right now. I could Google it, but that allowed VS Code to run in a browser. Oh, it's it, an was offer. Was it code, space, code Spaces? Or, well, code that's, Spaces, that's the yeah, that may be it. it. But all of this went back to <laughs> Atom.io and Electron, which Microsoft bought. And yeah, all of an that was all app. JavaScript yeah. based. And there were there were versions. I don't think of I don't it. think Microsoft bought Electron? Yes. Well, Electron is built on Atom. Microsoft bought Atom. I'm trying well, to I remember. thought Atom was built on Electron. My, no. I think I think Microsoft <laughs> bought what became VS Code, or maybe it was even called VS Code, and it is an Electron app. Right. 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 It's but and, and then obviously there are other aspects of that, like language services and things like that, these fundamental technologies that enable it. But because it's written in JavaScript, then it lends itself well to be executed in a browser that has a fast JavaScript engine, like yep. a V8 engine. And and so there's kind of two components to it. There's the front end that's effectively the IDE itself. And that is, I mean, as far as I know, that's just running native in your browsers. So that is running locally. Uh, and then there is the back end where they provision a VM where the, the Salesforce CLI runs and it's OAuthed into your orgs and things like that. The things that normally would have executed locally uh, in order to fulfill deployment and retrieval and things like that requests. And uh, so those two have to be paired to, to create the full offering. But effectively, the 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 experience it, that it creates is that you get to use VS Code without having to install anything locally. You just basically go into the little hub. You say, I want to develop against this organization. And it creates the VM on the background. And then it just fires off in a tab in the browser, fires off VS Code uh, already off into that org. I will say, I mean, because I'm, you know, I'm a, 
what's what's the uh, I guess full disclosure. I'm a, I'm a uh, happy Illuminated Cloud user, but I do oftentimes do the thing where I'll pop up in Dev Console real quick when I'm in an org, and you know I don't. It's maybe not necessarily something that I've done much development in, or I don't have an IC project set up for. If I need to do a quick query or look at some metadata, or whatever, you know, I'll use Dev Console for that. Um, and I think this would be a big improvement for that type of use case. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if it's easy, I mean, if it takes five minutes to spin up a, a the VM that backs this or whatever, then no thanks. But I imagine it's something where they already have just like warmed up. It's probably like some kind of you know Kubernetes thing. It's all running or something. Does a function as a service or something? But it's a Docker lightweight container. But you know, if you yeah. click the button and it opens as fast as Dev Console does, then that I mean, I you know, I, I see that as a quite an improvement over Dev Console. I mean, that's I think probably probably goes without saying. <laughs> Well, they've, they've been talking about this for quite a while, and, and maybe not broadly, but I think that the, the fact that VS Code had this capability was one of several things that made it attractive to them as a, a platform upon which to continue to build out their current generation IDE technology. So it was the ability to also effectively replace Dev Console or displace it. I don't know that it completely goes away, but um, you know, provides a better experience for browser-based, uh, you know, browser-based users. I think that Admins are a key target for that. Um, some developers, you know, I, certainly if it gives you the same experience, you're already a VS Code user. I think it, it, it's a good option. But, I, you know, I think about admins that just need to go in, like you said, and just run a quick query or uh, move some metadata around, things like that. Uh, I, think it's a, I think it's a really cool option for them that does, a, you know, a little bit of what or a lot of what Dev Console did, some of what Workbench did, because it gave the ability to go and, you know, deploy and retrieve metadata and run queries as well. Um, so I, it's it's definitely an interesting offering for sure. I see it also plugging in quite extensively with Trailhead as well. I mean, because now you're not oh, having wow. to yeah, tell someone how to set up an environment to do all that stuff. It's just go here, launch your launch your web browser based VS Code and start start running. That's a good point. I mean, they might even be able to put in plugins to that to start you know inspecting your code as you go. That's oh, pretty I'm interesting. Sure. I'm sure they. Yeah, I, I would think so. Um. Yeah, I just you know, interesting. I, I dropped a poll into the into the uh, Good Day Sir Slack, our conversation. Yeah, I bet we channel. don't have a polling plugin for Slack. You know, I knew we did, but I don't know how to use it. So <laughs> I'm I'm a I'm a luddite, John. I just you know I do things manually. Um, but yeah, I was like you know thumbs up. You know, the question was, you know, who, you know, in, in the in your top 100 list of wishes from Salesforce, who had a web based IDE in that list. And you know, it's thumbs up if yes, and thumbs down if no. And it was it was quite uh, tilted towards you know people. This is just not something people wanted or were asking for. Um, and again, this is interesting. You know, Salesforce frustrates me to to no end, pretty much. Um, and this is something where they you know they whatever they thought they they needed this, and and I don't you know who knows. I have no idea actually how much engineering time it took to build this. How many how much resources? I don't think it took much. Uh, I don't want to downplay the pe- m- the people that might have actually worked their ass off on this for you a long time. You can read some of the threads, and some of the threads, even from from people on Salesforce, are saying this is our plugin. It, it this is, is John, plugin that but, make, but making that as a service so that it scales but across Microsoft you know, did the tens work of thousands of code spaces. Uh, but, this is uh, you, sitting on top you don't, of that. I mean, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I am sitting here defending the people who work their ass off on this because I know they're out there. <laughs> you can be the butthole, John. I'm and, not saying and say that they didn't work hard on it. I'm uh, just saying that. Well, then, I don't then it was a lot of work. As you're no. making it out to be anyway, and I well, I said I don't know, I don't know, but I'm afraid that I actually took a lot of resources because that's again taking stuff 
that's taking resources away from things that people were actually asking for. Well, I, I also made the point that the wording of your poll mattered because I don't think anybody was asking for a web-based IDE, but I think a lot of people are asking for a replacement for Dev Console because we all have to interact with that thing at some point or another, and it sucks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah that, that's what I was about to say. I, I think it's more about uh, people have asked a lot, can you, can you provide Lightning Web Components development in Dev Console, which it's not there. Aura is, LWC is not. Can you make it so that Dev Console does this and this and this? And this is basically their response to that. We can, but we're not going to do it in Dev Console. Yeah. Um, right. To me, it kind of reminds me in a way, in a way I couldn't help but thinking about. Um, do you guys remember Citrix when that was a big deal? Like their ter oh, yeah. uh, terminal services or whatever it was? What was it? Winframe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it reminds me of. It's kind of, or I mean, it's not go to PC. Do you remember go to PC? Mm -hmm. But or instead Microsoft of your PC, your, in this case, your PC is Azure and your PC only runs VS Code. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I, heard, I heard the phrase, I think this is from one of the Salesforce people, you know, you can spin up a code builder instance. And I thought, okay, well, maybe that's just a throwaway choice of words. But that that sounds like something that would take too long. But I, again, maybe they've... Well, I, I think Scott I, described that scenario. I think I think that means exactly what... You're getting the, the IDE running in your browser locally, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but all the things that have to run on a machine, like the CLI and everything else, that's the instance you're spinning up. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, they're storing your files Right, because it's also does this. Wait a minute, does this oh. thing do any version control? Like, I mean, does. how does it interact with your version control? How do how do you how do you pull your stuff down from GitHub and push it back up and commit things and yeah, merge? There things? was a question about that. I mean, yeah, I think it connects to your to your version control system as well. I, so I guess they definitely they definitely said that it can. I don't know exactly how you have to go put in your credentials or. So I guess what you're you know, trying your to say SSH is that key. when you spin up that instance, it's also spinning up. A directory to store all the files it's, so they can interact with Git. There's, there's got to be some kind of file system yeah. that it's storing your stuff in. Yeah, it has to. Yeah, but I mean, I'm sure yeah, it's that just... was one of the things. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Jim. Go ahead. I was going to say that's one of the things that one of the questions that I had, and at some point I'll chat with some of the folks about it, but uh, on the Salesforce team. But uh, some of the security aspects because either they're using extremely lightweight, you know, this is what Jeremy was talking about, lightweight, very quick to spin up VMs on the background or or, or containers. Uh, so that you don't have to wait multiple minutes, ideally less than a minute. Docker for the back lightweight of the containers. And that's what they're using. <laughs> I'm, I'm hitting all the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the key phrases. Um, so either they're doing something like that or they have a bank of them kind of hot ready so that they just allocate them, which is similar to what they do with scratch orgs. And, uh, you know, they have to have something like one of those to, to make this a fast experience. Ideally, they're not sharing things, although containers are shared in a container host. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to security, I'm assuming that there's some very serious sandboxing and isolation of your files, your IP, things like that. Um, you know, Salesforce is really good with security. So it's not so much me saying, are they doing that? But I have to assume that they're doing that because they have to fulfill all their security requirements for their customers. No doubt about that. And I'm sure when they, you know, this pr project started and ended with security it being you know, yeah. for, top of mind. So. Well, to your point, Absolutely. that's where they put the work in. I think the hard work was there. Is that is that that point? Uh, you backpedaling a little bit, John? No, you feel, you feel no, bad? I'm, <laughs> I'm being swayed by by pers persuasive arguments. Yeah, there, there was I guarantee there was there was more work put in this than what you we thought it was. Yeah. It's just, well, Salesforce tends to do that. It, it it sounds like something that's already existed. Or you're like, oh yeah, we've had that forever in the in the in the dev world. But then you have to realize it's one big one big box that everyone's playing in. 
Yeah. And and we're all coexisting in the same environment with the same hardware and all that kind of stuff. And that introduces certain complexities. Yeah. <clears throat> so Scott, when you when you saw the you know this announcement about you know their this code builder, which is essentially again the the VS Code functionality that Salesforce has, you know, embedded in a browser and kind of connected to an org or whatever. You know, when you when you look at Illuminated Cloud and, and what your customers, you know, what your feature requests and things like that. I mean, did it, uh, did it spark any ideas or, you know, do you, do you, have you had customers asking for anything like this? Like what, what were your, when you, when you kind of, when you, cause surely you reflect immediately back on, you know, what, what you build for a living and, and think, oh, well, how does, you know, how, how would this work with eliminated cloud or, or, right. you know, is this something that you know, maybe I should look at? What, what were your thoughts? Well, I mean, as far as the cloud-based aspect, uh, you know, the same way that, that, that Salesforce builds on top of Microsoft's VS Code Foundation, I build on top of the JetBrains IDE Foundation. And uh, that's all implemented in Java and JVM languages, which there's not really a container to allow those to, to work in a browser, um, at least not without doing something similar to like virtual machines or something like that. Uh, and then you just have a window onto that virtual machine hosted through a browser, kind of the go to my PC thing that you were talking about. So you know, I, I don't see... I see going that direction and having a cloud-based offering uh, because the thing that that underpins it doesn't offer that. Um, having said that, it's not anything I've ever heard from my customers. You know, when when I first put IC out there, which actually yesterday was its five-year release anniversary. It's kind of cool. Oh, oh wow! Congratulations! Yeah, happy thank birthday, Illuminated Cloud. <laughs> it says thank you, and uh, so. Uh, when I first put it out there, the the landscape, the IDE landscape was different. It, you know, Maven's Mate was out there, the Force.com IDE, the first version was out there, but uh, you know, Welcome Suite. But there was one that was out there called Cloud Nine that uh, that Amazon has since bought yep, to be yep. to be an IDE, I think, for doing Lambda development and things like that in the browser. But it yep. was a browser based IDE for a lot of languages. And uh, while it's a very very cool concept, and I do think that. Uh, what I've seen with Code Builder looks like it addresses some of the problems that had going down, you know, year after year after that. I never had come, somebody come to me and say, "Hey, can you make it work more like Cloud 9? Um, I think that developers, my primary target market, are developers. I mean, I, I have a lot of admins that use it, um, but I don't have a lot of admin-oriented tools like some of the other offerings do. It's more about making the editor experience ideal. Um, and so I think developers are used to installing a, a dedicated tool on their desktop and not just one, but several. Mm -hmm. They may have tools for doing better diffs and some command line tools to help automate things in their IDE and their favorite plugins for their IDE and whatever it happens to be. So it's just not something I've been asked for. That's why I said earlier, I think it's something that's going to be really uh, advantageous for, for admins because they don't have to install any new software. Um, I'll be curious to see how many developers go that direction because it seems like they already have VS Code installed or they already have Illuminated Cloud or some other tool installed. And I'm just wondering what is compelling about having it in the browser that would cause them to uninstall that and start using it in the browser instead. Yeah, and this is my question. And and that's why, I mean, the, the, the use case for me was when I... When I'm because I, you know, because I'm, uh, I work in a lot of different companies and organizations, orgs, and so a lot of times I don't I don't have an IC project or I don't I don't even have a, a GitHub repo um, or a Git repo right for or maybe an org I'm popping into to do something, but that doesn't mean it wouldn't be useful to kind of get in there and make a quick change to a trigger or or 
you know, edit some meta metadata directly um, because sometimes it's a lot easier to do that than to just go through the UI, right? Which I've um, done. I've done that whole edit a page or edit a class. Yeah. In, in, mm -hmm. Not in the not even in the dev console. In the setup menu. In just in the setup menu. Oh yeah, yeah. I've done yeah. that just yeah. to change something, change a constant or something small. Um, yeah, so that. yeah, there's use cases for that. For there sure. Are. And it's and again uh, to me, this is like this is what I want dev console to be. So so to that end, I think it looks great. Um, I mean, I send admins to the dev console all the time. I give them the command to execute yeah. my batch job and yeah. say, here, paste this in there and run it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, and the other thing is like you know sometimes I'll get admins that are like. Um, you know, they're, they're, they'll ask me, Jeremy, how can I, I'm trying to think of an example. I've got this list of countries and country codes, and I need to build a formula out of it or something like that, right? Or I need this as, I don't know, some kind of like custom setting or something. Sounds familiar. It does. I know. That I know is. what your real answer is. We'll talk well, to John. And, and then so, and I just, I think to myself, well, gosh, if you just if you just knew how to use you know something like a limited cloud or or VS Code, and you could just open the metadata, and you could you could just get in there and edit it and do it yourself. But then I think to myself, and, and that would be great, right? You know, kind of empowering these admins to to do to to step up a little bit in terms of you know their power tools, right? Um, but then I think, well, let me think about this because last time I did this, I had to you know I had to. I put this file on disk, you know, I ran it through, you know, some kind of grep and said and thing or whatever to get in the format that, that it needs to be for the, the formula. Or maybe I go into, um, I open up in Sublime and I do some, you know, some interesting regex things to, to re, you know, to replace uh, character terms with commas and spaces and, you know, get it again. You, you've got to get it like, like a, let's say it's a Salesforce formula, right? You got to get it in that format. Um, and I think, well, there goes that because admins aren't going to do that. <laughs> They're not going to do this. So... Uh, you know, the whole, like, editing metadata directly? I, I, I guess. I mean, you I mean, I think if it's simple enough, they'll end up in flow. I mean, that, that seems to be the more appropriate place for that stuff, if it's simple enough. Anything more complicated, you kind of want to have a little more governance around it, and, you, of course, you want to... Well, how, you're not going to do what I just described in flow. That's not a flow task. To... Have you seen some of the flows people create? So what do you... So, <laughs> how, how would you do that in flow? Like, map, map countries to code... Country names to codes. You could do it. Uh, you, you could do it. I'm saying, how would you do it? <laughs> you you would you would query all the data, and then you would implement it. Query what data, John? Well, okay. You would put it into a table. If not, you could create a bunch of variables, which would be god-awful, but yeah. you could technically do it, and yeah. then map those variables to fields yeah. in a loop. Map it to your object, and then save it. It can be done. Oh, I know. I'm this not is, advocating, I, oh, but I it see can be done. Trust me, we, we see this stuff all the time. Wrong tool for the job. I've seen a lot of formulas yeah. that have switches to translate yeah. something to two character yeah. states and things like that it's it's there yeah people yeah. do it yeah well and and to be fair when you said you need more governance things like that that's actually one of the nice things one of the many nice things about this tool is if you can connect it and i know it they show that you can to a get repo and you could then run it through approval processes you know pull request uh peer feedback things like that then you can actually allow you know developers using it as their primary tool but then allow admins to have something that's more powerful but yet uh, when they actually make their changes versus just going in and clicking around in a sacred environment, when they make their changes, then they would have to put it through an approval process, or at least, I think Jeremy, you mentioned this on the uh, on the Slack channel, uh, some of the complexities around merging and things like that, because you know these metadata files, they're big XML files, and just make sure that everything goes in without losing something else. So I do think that it provides a better opportunity for that type of formal process and governance. It also exposes them to it. And I know there's a lot of admins who 
are dancing on the edge of development and they want to get into it, but the tooling for them just is horrible. It doesn't make it easy. It doesn't make it transparent on what they need to do. Yeah. And I think a better tool, yeah. even VS Code, would, would help that a lot. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I, I don't know. The, the whole like admin. every admin once they get to a certain level wants to be a developer at some point oh i don't know i think there's yes. a lot a lot of them they're just like hell no i don't want to do that they're well, more yeah, than happy to have a developer that. do it <laughs> yeah I don't it know. just depends on the type of type of admin i don't think you can paint them all with, with one brush for sure um, yeah, I've, I've met plenty of admins that are like you guys go do that stuff i have no interest <laughs> exactly in yeah. the system running exactly who the hell wants maybe i make want- it look too easy every <laughs> admin i come across is like, i want to do that too I'm like, okay let's do it <laughs> yeah oh Sometimes, making us sometimes bad. barriers are are keep you out of trouble. Sometimes barriers are good things in life. So I, I don't know. Uh, I think I think there's a mixed. Sometimes there's a mixed blessings. Um, but the whole talk about like the governance and merging everything is that a let's segue into the whole DevOps center because I think this is what actually what I might be oh, most excited, really excited about. about I am too. I mean, even <laughs> it, like I mean, I think I said this. It, 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 even if it's not perfect, I don't care if it's not perfect. If it allows them to push something into get or commit something into get that's all we need yeah and and so i read you know what what i could find that's available i think which i think was just the press release um but it looks like what it does i mean there's a there's a few i think enabling technologies here um one of them is actually the fact that dx sfdx the cli can now do source or, or change tracking for sandboxes, yeah. which is which is huge. Big. I love this. I'm so yes. happy. Thank you, Wade, or whoever did that. Yeah, there's nothing like <laughs> spinning up a sandbox, creating a DX project, and and doing a Git. What is a Git pull and going? Nope, not supported on sandboxes. Well, because yeah, because what you have to do around you just have to pull down. You have to have a tool that knows how to pull down all the metadata, and then you can diff it against your. And, and maybe Scott knows how this is done, but there's a there's a shadow copy of your Git on Salesforce somewhere. And when that gets out of sync, it really gets out of sync. Because I've done certain things like moved metadata to different folders, and it completely invalidates the whole uh, diff. And I have to re- recommit everything because it sees so, everything as a change. So the, the, the source tracking, um, I think it's called the Source Sync API. There are actually two aspects of it. And I'm going to say things that I'm sure that somebody from Salesforce will hear this and say, wow, that's not a full understanding of what we're doing. But but my understanding is that there, there's a client-side piece of it that's under your .sfdx folder um, under the subfolder that's named the same as your uh, username and uh, that, that represents the known state from the client side. And then something that's been in Scratch orgs for a while, it's basically a, a series of custom objects or a custom object, been in Scratch orgs for a while. And, and I guess it's really been everywhere, but not in use, or maybe they rolled it out to other orgs, is the server side of that. And it really is the server's understanding of the relationship of that org relative to a particular client. Now, in the case of a scratch org, it's always a one-to-one correspondence. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they've had to extend that for, for like a sandbox where you can have multiple people maintaining source sync state. But, um, but yeah, those can get out of sync, uh, not as nearly as often or as badly now as it was early early days. But those can get out of sync. What I've found is you can put things back in sync relatively well by whacking the sub the corresponding subdirectory under your. Uh, .sfdx directory mm-hmm. uh, and, and then just doing a, a push or a push again or a pull again and it'll it'll see that it doesn't know anything on one side and it'll it'll do a full reconciliation yeah because when you look at the diff when you get a status um you'll see a bunch of deletes and creates and i'm like oh wait a minute don't do that yeah <laughs> yeah and i i think i wouldn't be surprised if if with this functionality there's a constraint that if you're going to spin up a sandbox using this tool 
that it is intended for a, a person, a single individual to to work instead of. Uh, well, that's going to be interesting because the DevOps well, created exactly. this concept of workspace, and you know, it does provide a dev environment, but it's this one workspace for that's meant to be a yeah, and, what a product, a feature, uh, and, a, and I guess I'm just realizing that one big difference here is there is not necessarily anything on someone's hard drive, mm-mm. right? This is still all in Salesforce. Mm-hmm. So Salesforce is tracking, Salesforce is doing source tracking, not between your hard disk and and a, and a, and a uh, scratch org, but between the original state of the sandbox and the current state of the sandbox. I wonder if how much of this is piggybacking off of all the VS Code uh, VMs that they have to set up. Because it's essentially the same thing, isn't it? I mean, it's a CLI mm. running somewhere in an instance on the background that has the diff. I, I don't know. Well, I mean, I don't think there's any CLI going on with this. I mean... Yeah, there is. It's got to do the diff. It's got to well, track the There's not a command line interface. No one is no, typing... No. What to- I'm saying is it probably maps to command lines. That the We're getting a GUI that's mapping back to DX. CLI. Yeah, but D- okay. You're confusing it's CLI with all the library. The You're confusing this, a CLI with the actual libraries that implement all the functionality. Like it's not going through the CLI. It may be going through some. It, it, it may be the, the same JavaScript node, you know, um, packages and things that the CLI uses. Mm, but it's not going through. Way. They're they're not shelling open a Bash shell and putting in automatically entering commands at some shell when you do stuff in the sandbox for sure. What do you think, Scott? Yeah, I'm pretty pretty sure for this stuff that when we're talking about, I've just created a sandbox. I, you know, the metadata was in a known state. It's evolved over time through declarative changes, potentially through deployments to that sandbox, whatever. I think that's that's more a matter of tracking changes from a known point in time rather than having to reconcile two different environments because you, you really know exactly what things were at a point in time and what things are now. And they've got lifecycle information on all that metadata. So my guess is it's probably a little simpler proposition in order to understand what's the delta that has to be applied to another environment or that needs to be extracted and put into version control or something like that. That's a guess, but I don't, it probably is a slightly different process. Yeah. And they they probably won't talk much about, I mean, that that's implementation details that it's none of our business. I'm sure. (laughs) Talking about Salesforce is going open source on everything. Uh, Not everything. We want to know. (laughs) We have a right to know. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but no, I, I'm really excited about this. I mean, the idea that you can, you know, let's, because this is, this has been really difficult, like forever now. Like I'm, mm-hmm. you know, you're, we're working in a, a significant, you know, let's say, you know, an environment where you've got, you know, you're, you're tracking all your, your, your source and version control. You know, you've got people are doing work in sandbox, developers are doing work in sandboxes. You might have a QA sandbox or some kind of build sandbox where, you know, maybe you had a CI thing where anytime someone pushes up commits, you know, your CI runs and tests run, and then you, you know, maybe you've got a staging and then, and then, and then production, right? And the question is like when the admins want to get in and, you know, create some fields or do a process builder, these types of things, like, I mean, it's actually a big ask to ask an admin, a, a typical admin or someone who's not a developer, I think, to learn Git, because it turns out to get even like dangerous with Git, it's got a pretty steep learning curve. I mean, and you can, you get can stuck in Vim. yeah, it, well, yeah, you get stuck in Vim. You can't, you can't, you can't quit the editor because you don't know how to use Vim. <laughs> um, but this, this kind of solves that. And, and some of these other commercial Salesforce CI tools do similar things, but just having this native, I think, will be great. I mean, I don't know. Ho- hopefully, the pricing is not prohibitive. 
on it. But just, you know, just being able to have an admin spin up their own sandbox, make their change, and then hit a button that pushes up that commit to their own branch that create, and then it creates a pull request that a, then a developer or someone who's got Git skills can then look at that pull request, you know, look at the diff, decide whether that needs to be, you know, merged into the appropriate, you know, an appropriate branch or whether that needs to be sent back for, you know, for some tweaks or whatever. I mean, that that's just great. That's I, a great work. I need to see more of it just to understand if that's how it's working. From what I saw in the demos, you create a workspace. And within that workspace, you could have an environment that your changes are made in. And that's where the changes are tracked. And then you can see the diff of that, and you can push that to your repo. I don't it, know that it automatically creates branches. I don't know. It said it, it did. I read the thing that I read said it, and it also mentioned GitHub. So one of my questions is: Is this only GitHub, or can you use if you have a private repository that you host yourself, or if you use you know one of these other Git hosting services, or is it just tied to GitHub? They, but it said GitHub. It said it pushes it up to a specific branch in GitHub, okay. and it automatically creates a pull request. That's what. The, yeah, I, I couldn't imagine that you're having them work against the master branch directly. No. That, yeah, that would be a recipe for disaster. It would it would have to be either explicitly or implicitly creating another branch, like a feature branch, effectively to 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 run it through some type of a, an approval and merging workflow. Yeah, I mean, it's like that's how you would use a Git, GitHub anyway. You know, you you fork a repository, um, make your changes, and then send a pull request. You're not you're not you, you don't have commit rights to the repository you forked, right? Sure, I do. <laughs> I'll be curious. Right, the same question the that you asked me. <laughs> The same question you asked me about IC and Code Builder, you know, as the developer of IC, the my reaction to Code Builder. <clears throat> the first thing that went to my mind on this one was uh, some of the the third party tools that do similar things, or at least nominally similar things. You mean uh, the main sponsors of Trailhead DX? <laughs> I, I, I saw somebody mention them, that. Though. Maybe it is. Most of those play not just with source control and change tracking, but they play heavily on on continuous integration, automation, yeah, and automation yeah. and. I think it's going to be a boom for them to have admins committing to a repository and all they have to do is consume that. But feed. some of those services already do the, just that thing. They, they're actually managed. I can't remember which one it is. Capado, maybe I can't remember. Does, it works the, like in a very similar fashion. Sure. And that's, the that's a bonus for them. It's, a, okay. it's an in. I go, I need DevOps. This looks great. We need to do this. And they're like, but it has these limitations, and Capato can go. Oh well, we have value-added uh, yeah, tools that yeah. can do can solve that for you. Yeah, yeah. Salesforce gives them the sample, and then you, when you want to buy it, you only yeah. want to buy the real thing, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't know, because um, you know, John, you and I have been talking about you know better ways to solve this for our company, and there's just you know, I got to tell you, my brainstorming there, on it doesn't look <laughs> too far off. I mean, the, I the, I think they put a lot of the right kind of thought into it because if you look at how we do projects, it's not just one project. One repo, I mean, it ends up being one repo, but we have a couple of things going. We have parallel streams of builds that we're working on. Sometimes it's the quick start, first implementation of getting the thing stood up. Then there's maybe a community build, or there's some kind of automation build, or there's some kind of integration build. So we have multiple streams that we're going across. So Salesforce putting thought into the idea of creating different workspaces in your environment to manage those different streams shows me that they thought a lot about it. It wasn't just a, oh, well, now you can just see the diffs and commit it. No, they they understood that you're going to have multiple streams of work that you're working on. You have to somehow funnel those in. Yeah. So that part makes sense to me. I I think the devil's in the details, and I'm not sure how it's actually going to play out, but, I mean, I don't know enough about it yet to, to know what those are. I mean, this this is just, this is my dream come true, though. You know, getting a notification of a pull request from an admin that spun up their own sandbox, made their change, and pushed up a commit with a pull request. That's amazing. Yeah. Right? 
That's what that's what I need. So I am. This is by far the thing I'm most excited about. Oh, and it would mean no more chain, no more chain sets. Exactly. I mean, because oh, what? well, even <laughs> even man, even even metadata deployments, I cannot stand. I just hate them. No. Well. Okay. I have to know what to select. I can't well, select true. everything. Yeah. I have yeah. to know what to push, and yeah. that's why I like using chain sets because I. I keep track of it as I make changes. What kind of developer are you, I sir? Know, I know, but the thing is, <laughs> at the time I build something and the time I'm ready to release, I've already forgotten everything. It's I used called to keep... get log no, dash no, no, dash because it's name not just only. Me. I, I, it's, I have to do fields and metadata that someone else created. So I just like, sometimes I'll just create a, a chain set and say, okay, put all the changes that you need in there and I'll put my changes in there and we're both contributing to the same chain set. Kind of like source control. Yep. And we can deploy that all at once. And right. we don't forget anything. Oh, well, that's when I just do get pull, pull, or uh, like S of DX pull, or pull, you know, what's it called? For the, you can pull the metadata. Just pull everything down, and then you can do a get status or get diff and see what changed. And you know, you know what you know what you need to push. There's also, like, I've, I still use Solenopsis for things. I don't know why people don't talk about that more. I still love that project. I mean, my only complaint about it is it's mainly built in Ant, <laughs> like in tons of XML and XSLT and stuff, which... Ugh, no thanks, but uh, <laughs> uh, but it does things like it, it it knows how to pull everything down. Like it can it can do the thing similar to like Illuminated Cloud can do, where you can basically just you can build a full package.xml just you know easily or with you know just like selecting all the things, and now you have a full package.xml. That's that's actually one of the biggest challenges to all this is just getting a package.xml that works. That's, well, I did like that. The, the demo they had that uh, metadata browser, yeah, whatever that was, mm -hmm. and you could just. You can just retrieve one of the one of the items that isn't in your package or isn't in your something you're tracking. Okay. That was pretty nice. But the other thing that Solenopsis has always done is it looks at what you're deploying and it looks at the org it's deploying it to. It actually pulls down the meta like when you say, okay, now I want you to deploy this to this this sandbox or this production org or whatever. It looks at the metadata that you're deploying to and does a diff and only deploys the things that are different. Which is great if you ever worked in a big org where the, your de if your a full deployment is far exceeds the limits of what Salesforce lets you deploy. Because I'm sorry, but in a big org, and when when you do exceed that limit, you can't just split your deployment up because these things called dependencies. <laughs> you can't. There's no good way to cut a deployment in half and like, oh, I'll do this. I'll do one half now and the other half uh, this afternoon. No, it won't work. It won't go through. Well, that's and the so, devil in the details part. It is the devil. Yes, you're right. And the devil's always in the details. <laughs> I mean, that's what I was alluding to was, yeah. was dependency. Yeah. Tracking well, yeah. issues, yeah. Res resolution, yeah. whatever you want to say. But yeah, now Solenopsis would, um, and it, it, would, it would even look at things like if, you're if you are deploying to an org that has a thing, and in your source code, you don't have that thing, then it knows it needs to set up a destructive change list. So it even handles like figuring out what should be deleted from the target org. Well, that's, it's, that's actually was pretty great. That we'd get, it, uh, in the near future, we get destructive changes. Well, we already have destructive. I don't. I don't understand. No, what was, he's talking about in VS Code, yeah. the ability to do destructive changes. It doesn't do that. Mm -mm. How do people use it? I don't understand that. Don't know. I mean, well, I mean, I guess, I guess you couldn't use it for like automated deployments. Well, did, I still don't know what people are doing for deploying, uh, other than one of these commercial services. I mean, you talking about just in general? Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, well, I know what they're doing. I know what people are doing. They're just, they're just, I mean, just manually like monkey patching their org essentially. I mean, it's 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 super sloppy, and there's and and they there's no integrity between what the actual end state of the metadata in your org is versus the actual state of metadata in your source repository. I I don't know that I agree with that. I, I think that 
I think we may have worked in different environments. Uh, you know, having worked primarily in an ISV environment for the past ten years, we've had very formal. Now we've had smaller sets of metadata that are they go through a more formal management process in in kind of life cycle. But I mean, we've had very strictly uh, defined automated processes for for how metadata evolves over time in in any of these critical orgs, whether they're the the packaging orgs for first generation packaging or their user acceptance test environments or even our local de- development environments uh, which are based on de orgs we we had not just package xml that frames the the metadata definition or manifest itself but we also had <laughs> giant ant scripts but um because this generally predated the cli but giant ant scripts that would take care of making sure everything was up to date keeping things clean over time um and I know a lot of people do use these CI CD tools. I talk just through IC. I talk to a lot of people that use, uh, you know, third party tools and they're trying to make sure that the IDE will integrate well with that and use the same package XML and the same processes and things like mm-hmm. that. So I've seen, I've definitely seen a lot more formality and diligence around how metadata gets moved around uh, where I've worked and also working with a lot of customers. Yeah. I guess it's the whole thing, you know, I mean, you, you may have great version control and processes and everything, but when you go to, to, to deploy your, your version of tr- you know your what is it, what do they call it sort your source of truth right to an org does your tooling how does it know what to delete from that org it's deploying to as just as an that's, example that's the tricky part yeah um <clears throat> let me take a sip of my own beer here <laughs> there you more, go. So. is it homebrew no i haven't brewed in a while um although i have a buddy that's been brewing during the uh the quarantine and he comes over and drops off uh growlers on my front oh, porch that's, a, that's nice. a good friend but uh yeah absolutely um no this is altstadt's uh half of eisen so no just, i'm so, so jealous that you can get those guys um, so, so tasty they i've they've, they've got their um their coal shop here in in dallas but it's awesome that's the only thing i've had so far well, their hef's really tasty i mean i i don't know if i'd put it over live oaks although live oaks can be really inconsistent when it's when it's you know at the top of its game it's probably one of the best hefts in america um agree but it can uh it can have some 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 funky batches too. Interesting. Uh, so, oh, wh- what was I talking about? Oh, clear. Help me here. Destructive changes. Destructive changes. So, thank you, John. Someone's paying attention. So, as far <laughs> as destructive changes, that that's where things get pretty tricky because uh, you can find yourself in a catch twenty two situation if metadata is moved around. You've had Apex classes renamed. You've you know your mid development cycle and you've renamed uh, custom objects or custom fields, things like that. You can find yourself basically unable to deploy to an organization um, without having to go and, and, and brute force it in and then go clean up the residue. Um, so while these automated processes are fantastic and they work, you know, 90 plus percent of the time when they don't work, you just have to tell everybody to stop the presses and go in and get everything caught up. Refactoring is a tricky one because I, I, I feel confident refactoring a class because it's it's that hasn't been deployed yet because that's but. And that's because the mechanism behind it is really a create and delete or delete and create, whichever the order is. So you can't really deploy a refactor. So a refactor, you're, you're saying like, let's say you're, you're talking about something like where maybe you rename a class. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So you, you, you can, it's, and it is, it's a deploy and, and then a delete and you can in a single transaction, a single, single deployment transaction. And you probably already know this, but you, know, you can have a destructive changes file, but you can also have destructive changes pre and destructive changes post. Yeah. And so what you can do is basically create a manifest that's the class with the new name, all the references updated to reference that name, and then in a destructive changes post, include the original class name, 
and it'll basically deploy the 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 new class name, the updates for relational integrity, and then as part of that same deployment transaction, delete the class with the old name. Right. Yeah, but that's an intentional. But, that's, that's, that's part of the trickiness of it. You can't just refactor and, and deploy from your source and go, I'm good. Because your well, old class it, is It also is just that org that you're working against. So if you're working as a distributed team and everybody has their own org, the person that just renamed that class only fixed their environment. Now you have to figure oh, out how yeah. to propagate that out into other environments. Yeah. And what if someone's org is, you know, 50 commits behind and you have a whole series of renames, deletes, adds, you know, th- this you is just start a new org at that point. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that, that, yeah. this, this is why I say one of, one of my, you know, pro- so that's why I have scratch works, <laughs> new scratch. One, one of my pro tips for multi environment, you know, org management is, uh, don't get very far from master ever keep you know and do and deploy to production really often which is also john hates when i say this but deploy all the time and use feature flags for things that you don't want to show to users yet because the worst thing is is when you get really behind that's when you know you're going to just be you're going to spend all weekend trying to get your production org deployed correctly if you don't I don't know why and that's where that's that. where scratch orgs come in, in in a major way, but it doesn't, you know, the ephemeral nature of and the fact that you start with a, you know, kind of a zero state and build up, but but that doesn't help with these environments. You know, if you're if you have a production organization, it's an internal organization, or sandboxes off of that that are long lived sandboxes, or a first generation packaging organization, it it just doesn't help you with those types of things because those you do have to catch up versus just go carve off a brand new environment and let me make it look the way that I want based upon version control. Do you think given that we have source control and Salesforce is starting to track all this stuff that we'll get an easy button at some point? I mean, at some point they're going to have that data. They're going to know what changes you made. They're going to know that you renamed uh, a class. Will they though? Do they have, that's the thing. They have to know what that intention was and... Mm. You know, th- and we've talked about this before because the, the, the challenge that Salesforce has is you're not just deploying a new build of code, a new binary. It, the database is mixed in with that. And, and right. the way you evolve applications with databases is you, you commit in to the, ver- usually this is the way you would do it, you commit into the version control, you know, database migration scripts as you need them. And so when, you're, when, you're, when you do have an org- uh, environment that gets 50 commits behind, when you deploy to that environment, it's going when it as soon as it's you know when it fires up, assuming you have it maybe as a part of the startup process, it's gonna it's, it knows what its last you know migration it ran was. Maybe it, it was you know migration number thirty, and now we're up to thirty seven. It knows it needs to run thirty one through thirty seven in that order. Mm-hmm. It has to be in order, you know, because these 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 are uh, you know these are things that are not idempotent and they're 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 order sensitive. And they've got to be run, and we don't. We don't really have something like that with Salesforce. I mean, Salesforce certainly doesn't have that tooling built in. You'd have to build something externally that tooling that could do right. something that's, like that. That's kind of what I'm, what I'm wondering is is if now that they have this source tracking, and now that they have that history, they have the log, they have the Git log. I mean, could they just treat it like a database replication and read it out and replicate? It? I, I mean, I think so. And I, I think of these. You know, I mean, I feel like I've worked on some pretty big projects, but I mean, people work on projects that are a hundred times bigger than the projects I've worked on. And I think, and I think to myself, what what C, what would it be, CIO, I guess, would, would, would put their business on Salesforce in a, in, in, in with all this custom development and everything in a way that doesn't have basic stuff like this. It is insane that we still don't have things like this. And I, you know, again, I get Salesforce has got all kinds of unique challenges and they're not running just like a little Ruby on, or was it Ruby on Rails, <laughs> whatever, you know, uh, app with, you know, a MySQL database. But, um, 
Yeah, it's, you know. Oh, they wish they were running on MySQL. <laughs> <laughs> they, they might. Oh, Salesforce. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, they're getting there. You know, it's, it's getting better. Uh, it just, man, there's, it, it's incremental for sure. Well, even, I mean, let's talk about incremental changes. You know, we haven't talked about Apex, uh, the changes to it. But Well, that's what I was about to transition okay. to. Okay. Well, Can go we ahead. talk about the whole question mark dot since we don't have a good name for it yet <laughs> well it's the it's the it's a safe nav most languages safe call navigation. It, yeah save navigation operator yeah no we need a cute name for it snow the no nulls here yeah no nulls here yeah we'll call it the no no yeah <laughs> um yeah and and uh someone i someone actually did grab that screenshot that last screenshot of chris peterson's uh presentation where he had like a roadmap of some of the things that are coming and I, I thought I saw like generics on there and some oh, other don't consideration. Don't, don't tease me with that. Well, so <laughs> I was, I was a bit let down by the question mark dot. The, the, I mean, it's nice. I, it's I nice. I was thinking it was more akin to the, uh, JavaScript operator that kind of does the, the, or whatever it's not null option. So you could do variable a, no, it's like short, mark. short circuited assignment. Essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was hoping it was that because that's what I, I write that util clap that util function everywhere for every data type. It's know, like a string. It's like a coalesce function. Is null, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. basically, basically yep. my is null equivalent that provides a default value if it's null. You're speaking, well, and I think that that was on his list of futures was basically a null coalesce type of behavior. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure that that's also on the consideration. This one in particular, I mean, I'm personally excited about it because. Yeah, now I primarily develop in Java these days, or almost exclusively in Java, but yep, I can't tell you how many, like, 20 lines, or 20 is probably exaggeration, but 5 to 10 lines of consecutive ternaries to navigate things in a null-safe manner to get to the result that I want, um, and then check and see if that's null or non-null so I can do something. Now, Scott, are you and, have you started using optionals for things like that? You know, I, I've tried using optionals, and it's such a clunky thing relative to an actual operator. Hmm. It just I, the the idiomatic expression, or the the I guess just idiom, to just basically say if foo not equal null foo dot something colon null, and then you just keep chaining that down. Yep. And you assign that to bar. You say bar not yep. equal null baz. Right. Mm-hmm. Chain that down is is so simple to write, and I've even created a little live template. Just kind of does it for me. But to be able to just chain that together um, with question mark dot, like I could in so many other languages, and now be able to do that in Apex would be wonderful because now I know I'm not going to have to contend, contend with potentially dereferencing something, yep. uh, and I'm not going to have that extremely verbose way of checking it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, so with I think I think you know with optional things like that in Java, that you know, Java has started adding a lot of null null safety stuff. I think starting in eight, maybe seven, I can't remember. Um, but you know, it's it it does accomplish similar things, but it you do have to essentially uh, refactor your entire code base to exactly. To you have to buy that. into yeah, it you completely. Really do. Um, but it, yeah. it does work. Um, what about um, have you? And I know you've got a I mean a big a big code base existing code base, but have you started you know any new development or changing any things to Kotlin? <laughs> no, you know I actually chatted with somebody from JetBrains about that the other day. Um, no, you know I'm. I'm an old dog. Yeah, I've been programming in Java <laughs> since what 0.9 beta, like 90, late 94, early 95. And it's, I would not ship for a couple of weeks. Cause I try to try to put something out there every week, just slowing me down mm. in terms of productivity. I know that it's one of these things that you, you know, you reach the top of the hill and then you gain velocity. Right. But, um, 
I mean, I, I'm very fast in Java and very effective in Java, and um, I like it. I, I, what I've seen of Kotlin, I really like. I haven't really done anything of substance in it, but like I said, I'm an old dog, and I'm really happy with the tricks I know. That's interesting. I mean, I was looking at today. Um, I pushed up some of my latest commits on an, an integration I've been working on. And that, like, if I if I have my druthers, like I I love this uh, Apache Camel stack with with Spring and ActiveMQ, and um, it's just it's so incredibly powerful. And and again, it's like one of those things. I'm 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 really effective in it. You know, compared to any other tool that I might use. But you know, when I pushed up to 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 GitHub, and then I I actually you know open up the browser. I look at the repository, and I can, you know, it shows you the breakdown of language uh, in your repository, and it was like it was about I think it was 60, about sixty percent Java, forty percent Kotlin, because uh, there's still a lot of things I like to do in Java, but like all of like my data trans, like my the code that does a lot of data transforms and things, uh, because Kotlin has so many language features that are really great for that type of thing. Um, I've got all this Kotlin code for that, and to me, that's you know, I don't know. I'm glad I, and I'm still, I still feel like I am. Uh, I feel like I've just hit the tip of the iceberg with Kotlin. You know, I mean, I can write some basic stuff in it and, and some of the, like I said, some of the, some of the syntax and it, I mean, a lot of it, to be fair, it, it is, a, you know, like syntactic sugar compared to Java, but yeah. I mean, syntactic sugar tastes good. You know, it's tasty. I mean, that's uh, what, that's what this new operator it, is, That's right? all, that's what it is. the exact right? same thing. Yep. Yeah. Um, but to the, and, and so, uh, and this is, I, I had a little Twitter discussion with some people past day or so about this, including Chris Peterson. But you know, yeah. I mean, the the safe, the null safe. Uh, what's it called? Null safe navigator? No, null safe, safe operator. Navigation. Yeah, there you go. Um, it it doesn't necessarily make your code any safer because you can still do you know, there's nulls every nulls you know nulls are everywhere in Apex still. Um, but to whatever degree it encourages and makes it easier to do the right thing, that's great, right? I mean, it's well, it makes you, it makes you think about it too, right? That's if true. You, you basically go, can this evaluate to null? Should I use question mark dot instead of dot? Because if it can evaluate to null, I don't want to get an MPE right here. And it just, it, it, it allows you to take a second and actually think about this chained expression that you're writing and the, and the ramifications of that if you were to just put a dot there. Of course, the other argument is that you're, you're still going to end up with an MPE. It's just going to be, you're just going to be a slightly further down the, down the, down the river. <laughs> you're either going to end up with an MPE or you're going to end up at some point. At, at some point, you have to check for null and decide whether you proceed with whatever your logic is or if you bail out, right? Yeah. The question is, is do you have to do it at, in some form every single step along the way? Or can you just get to the, what should be the end result that, that is going to effectively seed your logic? That piece of data you were looking for that you had to navigate to, can you wait until the end to check? Yeah, and that's really what this is all about. Yep, it'll it'll cut way down on the noise in your code, and and less noisy and cleaner code is safer code, right? Right. Should- and the reason I use ternaries is obviously that I've seen so much code, and I've written so much code. I can't I can't uh, necessarily exempt myself from this. Where you do, if it's not null, open a new block. If this off of it is not null. If this off of that is not null. And you end up like 10 levels indented, 10 levels of block indentation. And that's why I started using ternaries, because at least I get this straight vertical line of, you know, getting from point A to point X through through various relationships and then and then check point X for whether it's null or not. And I don't end up with the actual logic I want or an invocation of some extracted method, you know, 80 characters in on my indentation. And I've seen a lot of code where you end up with that and you have to scroll right just to see what ultimately happens. Yep. So yeah, it's it's definitely a welcome thing. Um, but 
Any yeah, new language features are welcome. Uh, I, I yeah, feel like we haven't gotten anything in a while. Uh, I know, and it's you know I, again, I'll, I'll take what I can get. And, uh, and again, I know Salesforce has unique challenges, but I, when I th- when I think of where I would like Apex to be, if we're going to be if we're going to keep using Apex, right? It, when I think of where I would where I where I would like it to be, boy, it's it's we're never going to get there. <laughs> it's just so. If this is what we get after a year, you know, it's just I don't Why know. Why is so glass half full? Well, that optimistic. Yeah, I, I think you mean the opposite, or, but or half empty. Yeah. <laughs> so I've I've chatted with Chris about this a little bit um, on the side, and and obviously I'm sure some of that was you know private conversation. In fact, most of it was. But I think that the sentiment at the top is that you know he has, and even that slide showed it. He has things that would put big smiles in everybody's faces on his list. The thing is, is he he has to walk before he runs. I mean, this language is so heavily used by so much mission critical business out there that you don't just go out and add language features that could potentially destabilize or cause issues or something like that. You don't, you, you have to, you have to kind no, of slow, yeah. slow track it. So things like switch, which, you know, is syntactic sugar for a big set of, you know, uh, conditionals, things like this safe navigation operator, but he has on his list some things that are more material like anonymous inner classes. Yes, oh, that's somewhat, right. I, I saw that. Yeah. I mean, that that's, and that's honestly, that's that wasn't huge. on the investigating. That was, you know, an, another slot over to the left in terms of consideration. And while that's not the same thing as passing functions as first class parameters or lambdas. So it's close. It's a close cousin. It's it's really <laughs> close in terms of accomplishing something that you want to accomplish, which is I don't want to go do a top level class in order to implement this interface. I just want to do it right here. Or if I want to just override these two methods, I'm just going to do it right here yes. at the point of use where it's interesting. And yeah, this gets me excited. Even just thinking of anonymous classes gets me excited. <laughs> See, you were negative. Of course, I'm, 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 three, I'm, on a, I'm about three beers in right now. What is this one? Uh, t- we're drinking now. We're, on, we're we've moved on. Actually, we're on our third beer. What is this? Uh, uh, Monsters like a, Park. Twelve like percent modern times uh, pastry stout. It's good. <laughs> it's delicious. You know what's in there? John? Read the description to us. It's an imperial star aged in bourbon barrels with vanilla. Uh, what else am I supposed to read? I don't know. That's fine. What's this the beer is vegan. What, Did is, you know that? No, most beer is. What's the ABV, John? <laughs> is it gluten free? Um, no, it's not. Uh, it's fourteen. Fourteen? Okay, that's reasonable, right? <laughs> <sighs> I told you I just wanted one. Damn it! That's what you always say. All right. So, what about promises? Uh, p- promises are just not a thing. I mean, they're. What do you mean promises? That's a library that yeah. Kevin created a t- on top of uh, transaction finalizers and queuables. It's 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 not a it's not a platform feature. Yeah, it's just it's you know some classes, and you know what I mean would make those much better is generics. <laughs> I mean seriously, generics would be awesome. Yeah, I mean generics would solve the whole class of problems oh, or make it make yeah. things better. Um, well, it also introduces its own set of problems, but yeah, it does. I mean, but it does. Well, have you Scott- used generics in a language? It's just one of those things where you just you miss it so much. And Scott- oh, yeah, I I would love to have it, but I mean, it can be abused yeah. so badly, and and depending upon how it's implemented, if there's type erasure, you know, it's just there's so many questions about it. I'm sorry, the question was coming. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, you know, you and I are probably both old enough to remember. I mean, I don't know if you were around in the like the Java five days, right, where they just debated endlessly like what was it like neil gafter and um the value uh, of not even the value but ha- there were there were so many different proposals from like these you know three or four or five really smart you know java engineers who are the, you know these yeah. famous guys that work for sun and everything um and so much debate and yeah i mean is it 
you know, do you embed the types at runtime or do you, you know, do you do type erasure? In which case it's just, it's a compile time safety thing, which would be totally fine. I'd be, that, that's completely fine. You know, whereas, because C Sharp, you know, this is back when, you know, um, .NET 1, 1 didn't have generics and well, they bolted gen generics before Java. Um, yes. I don't remember, but, but anyway, I will tell you the C dot, but dot net did not implement via erasure. So, mm. but with dot net, well, I think it was 1.1 or 1.2 when they added generics, they broke a lot of stuff, but they could because hardly anyone used dot net at that point. Whereas yeah, Java yeah. had massive install base and they couldn't do that kind of thing. Yeah. And this is the same problem Chris Peterson faces is, you know, it's, 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 it's very hard to, when you add what you thinks, what you think is an innocent new language feature. It's it's amazing the problems that can solve that that can cause. Of course, they have. I don't even think Sun had this. They have that uh, test hammer thing, which is amazing. Right. Well, they also have a versioning. Right. That's the other thing. That's true. They can introduce it in a new language, a new language API or new language version, mm -hmm. and not in old ones. And I, the, I don't. I don't even want to imagine the complexity under the hood of how they manage all that. But but, but even with yeah, that, Scott, you know, they've got a for people who want to keep up with current versions. I mean, they could they could hose up a lot of code bases, right? You know, when people go to recompile, as their, soon as they bump yeah, it up, yeah, exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, no question. Uh, I actually have the slide up. Just the uh, we won't go into every single bullet, but I will say that the uh, anonymous inner classes and null coalescing operator. That both of those were on longer term, but were not under the just exploring bucket, which exploring is generics and reflection and covariant return type. So, so I think that the fact that it's on longer term and not on exploring means that there's probably some internal momentum, but I wouldn't expect it in the next twelve months. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna mention reflection because I mean that's that seems to go hand in hand with with generics. I mean you have to have some kind of reflection, and whether or not they would surface that up to yeah, Apex <laughs> is would be a big question mark. And, and to get more usable. Um, uh, things like, um, oh gosh, what would this include? Um, mocking libraries and all sorts of things really need ref better reflection. Mm -hmm. um, you know, with Java, they when I think it was with Java five actually they they introduced the concept of an, a VM agent, and it's like when the VM is literally at the time that it's loading the class loaders loading classes in, an agent can tap into that and instrument them. So, so, you know, you all, all of a sudden all the testing libraries got better because they could, they can mock statics and private things and do all kinds of stuff, right. That they, before they didn't have access to. Um, and, and I'm sure that, you know, of course it would take a lot of engineering and planning, but I mean, with, if, if they're going to improve reflection that they could, you know, they would be able to enable those types of things. Well, I mean, yeah, if you're talking about like AOP and things like that and cross-cutting and the ability to put <laughs> no, no, I don't mean, I don't, in place. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, don't, I was I, about to say that. No, I don't, I didn't really mean that. security just, concerns there. Right. No, definitely. For sure. Um, I just, I just think in general, you know, mocking seems to be one of those, one of those cases. And also just, you know, more just, you know, dynamic um, runtime type stuff. You just, you need better, um, you need better reflection. Yeah, generics is one thing, but from a security standpoint, reflection seems pretty risky. It is yeah. very risky. It's very dangerous. And 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 I don't know much about this, Scott. You probably know a lot more than me. I'm sure you've had conversations with Chris about this. But you know, when they did the whole, um, they actually wrote like a <laughs> a real compiler for Apex. That was, from what I understand, really, and that took a ton of effort. And I think that I mean, I, they probably spent a couple of years on that. Where we're sitting around thinking. Gosh, where are our new Apex features? And meanwhile, they're toiling privately because they can't really talk about what they're doing on this building a real compiler for Apex because that's what then lays a foundation for them to do these other things in a way that is scalable and safe. 
because before I think they just had a, I think it was like an interpreting kind of compiler, and it was probably it, just it was more than simple. that, but it was an evolution okay. of something that was that was originally born to be, uh, you know, so much simpler. And then I won't say bubblegum and band aids because it, obviously what it became is is incredibly sophisticated, but uh, it 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 wasn't based on a foundation that actually had closer to a formal grammar around it and things like that. There were a lot of one-off rules. Um, and uh, this is just based on discussing with even some of the guys that worked on that. Um, but, and they, they, they took a step back and actually applied solid, you know, sound compiler uh, fundamentals uh, and, and getting that working with some of the idiosyncratic behavior that was allowed by the original interpreter or the original compiler and also have a solid foundation upon which to add new language features. I mean, you, you have to applaud that effort. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's foundational. And, you know, if, if that's what it takes in order for them to be able to get us the things we want, then fine, you know, get it done, get her done. Yeah. But they got that done. So that's good. <laughs> that's in the past now. Um, all right, guys. Well, we've, we've been going for a while. Um, what else do we want to cover? I, I saw something about flow test yeah. classes. I wanted to talk about, okay. flow. well, right. I wanted to talk about a couple of things about flow. All um, right. I didn't see the thing on test classes. So I, I can't speak. To I heard that. like a mention of it. Like a, I heard a mention okay. of it on Slack as well. Yeah. And that would be nice, but I don't know how, how it's implemented. I don't know if it's something an admin can implement or because my thought on, I've always thought about creating some kind of tool that would let you mock and maybe store it as JSON or something, but create your mocks your, of your objects and then have that run in it as an input. But there's a lot to think about there. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure how that what shape that takes. I don't know if that means just kind of collaborating with a developer, meaning I create my flow. Now you dev create, you know, test it for me. I don't either. I mean, I, or maybe is there a way for, you know, like admins to create tests? Well, that's the part things? I was talking about was like the tooling. Yeah. Like, is there, are they going to build tooling around that for admins to create their own mocking or what? Um, well, not mocking, but their own integration. I, yeah. I mean, I, I personally think as, as someone who, yeah, I'm not like a test. Cr I'm not crazy. Like I don't even do TDD in most environments, but I do. I do like to have good test coverage and automated tests. Um, so I think it's kind of just you know nutbally to not to have a bunch of uh, functionality, whether it's flow or process building these things, and not have that covered by automated tests. That's crazy. That's just well, especially since they they put a big emphasis. Em oh, shit, this beer. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll cut that i'll it, definitely i'll cut that i'll fix that in post john won't. it's been a while since drunk, drunk john has been on the episode but uh, uh they put a lot well of we welcome his return i can tell you that <laughs> they put a lot of emphasis on hammer and and how they're able to kind of run the test and see what they break on on things like that but, i'm not concerned about salesforce breaking things yeah. it's 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 admins and developers breaking things on their own orgs and not realizing it because they don't have test coverage on all of their you know, button click. Or I know, but if we're talking automation. about moving the platform forward and mm -hmm. we're talking about, you know, being able to design solutions and not break things, which was something they stressed over and over is we don't want to break your stuff. That's why we have hammers so we can run everything and not break your stuff. Yep. Well, there's a huge gap. You have a ton of people building things in flows oh, and process a builders. That's a good point. And they can't yeah. for certain say that they're not going to break your crap. Yep. I didn't think about that. That's a good point. And so it's in Salesforce's best interest to have all right. this declarative uh, I don't want to call it that low code or what I don't know what the we call it every every three months we've got a new term for all this stuff but low to code have love I guess um, but to, yeah that had that co uh, covered by test coverage enables Salesforce to evolve um, with n knowing they haven't you know messed everything up right but there is an underlying thing here 
Um, no, it wasn't official. No, it wasn't official. What's not? But it was mentioned. No, a few times, and that is that flow is the future. Now I've heard them say flow is the future before. This is as compared to process builder, right? But in right. the context, people were asking. I think this was true to core. They were asking about process builder, and the answer was flow is the future. And yep. what I infer from that is that process builder is going away. Well, it won't go away. It'll be there it for backwards away. functionality, but moving forward, they're going to encourage you to use flow. It'll sit by S controls. What do you mean? In well, the, the, gra the, the graveyard? <laughs> S controls no, still mean, exist, but you can't create a new one. You can you edit an existing, but you can't create a new one. That's right. Well, above, it may be based in API version, but yeah, they, they actually have been more strict on that than they have with some of their other deprecated things. And doesn't and again I I I'm so out of my league here. Um, but don't process builders essentially boil down to flows? They seem to in the stack. I mean, they're separated in the log, so you'll see the flow invocations and the process invocations. They kind of look the same, so I think they're the same underlying pinnings. But I have seen some differences as well and i'm not sure how to express that right now because i've had three beers <laughs> yeah I, I don't know the relationship between the two i at one point i definitely thought that one was basically a ui for constructing the other um uh, that's what i originally thought too but i saw some nuances there that made me think differently and i can't yeah, i can't recall it unfortunately yeah again i like i said i don't, I don't know maybe i'm just making stuff but i'm up. curious on the jeremy's perspective because jeremy's never liked flow and never liked process builder he doesn't think we should be using them so i want to see you know in a world where process builder goes away and we're focused on flow can, how was your ideal use case for this so can i first defend what my no, actual, posi my actual position no, is on this attack this okay is a, this is war well, but I, I feel like i get to defend myself then <laughs> okay what was the question <laughs> what is how, how do you think flow should be used moving forward? What is the ideal scenario for that? Oh, I I don't know. You're you're I I'm not qualified to answer that. But how I will not because I don't I don't know anything about them. I just don't do them. It's code that you drag and drop on the screen. Here's the only problem. The only thing I know about these is they, and it's I think it's gotten better because they've changed the way metadata works for these. But for the longest time, it made deployments a nightmare. So between making yeah. deployments a nightmare and not having test coverage for these things, these were like, you know, I don't like these things because well, they were bullet. they caused problems for my clients. So I well, you know. error handling is the third bullet. Okay. Well, and performance is the fourth bullet, and that's gotten tremendously better too. But but I think you know, performance we start talking about be, large data volume. I think performance is just in the way people are building them. They're just not efficient. I don't know about I think that. It, wasn't it Roger who went and did, and of course, this has been a, a year or so, but Roger who went and actually did some analysis one year and then did it the next year. But I mean, writing the same thing in Apex is a trigger. You know, but this is the old kind of hand optimization versus unoptimized effectively or, sure. or limited optimizations. But, you know, at small, at small data volume, it was close. And as the data volume grew, as far as the size of the batches started to diverge. But, but I think that you know, the first year there was a huge divergence and the next year they had done a lot. Salesforce had done a lot in terms of the way that, because I think they convert flows into Apex, compile them into Apex classes. And Yeah, but there was think. something about how they handled bulk and they quasi it wasn't efficient. It. <laughs> yeah, even, it even wasn't efficient. Even the fix for it wasn't efficient. It was, they kind of broke it up into smaller chunks or something, I think is all they did. Yeah. No. But, but I, I agree with you that I think the one of the biggest risks is around, uh, you know, testability um, and, and just, 
governance back to that word, right? I mean, we had in a previous life, we basically had a person on the team that went out and wrote some business logic or created some business logic in flows that, that technically solved the problem, but didn't necessarily have the worldview. And then uh, when it would kick in, it would cause some unexpected side effects and performance was not as good as we would get if we did it native. Ultimately, we ended up porting those, air quoting, porting those over to Apex triggers um, and, and kind of post-DML logic. But uh, but the fact that someone can just go out and create a flow um, and not necessarily have tests around it, which obviously we're trying to address, has always been a concern for me. So I am glad to see these efforts to bring it more into the fold as a first-class logical entity in the in their platform. Yeah, I think... Oh, there's so much to unpack. <laughs> there really is. <laughs> it's such a double-edged sword. It's it's it it's is. great, but it's also dangerous. It you is because I, 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 I made the powerful argument powerful that tool. process there, there there's a there's a golden lining to process builder, and that it's very simple. You have this very linear stepped transition. That it I hate the fall through, but the fall through works sometimes. But in its core, it's just this decision point, this linear decision point. But in flows, that can branch. It's still linear. Don't get me wrong. But it can branch, and that graph can get huge, uh, just because it's so much more flexible. And from a maintenance perspective, I've walked into flows and just had a panic attack because I have no idea where to start to even look at what the oh, maintenance I, I, is. I don't even. There's yeah. so many variables, and their names aren't aren't correct. There's so many loops, and sometimes the loops are incorrect, and I don't know how to detach the loop from everything else and refactor it so that I can get it to work and and hope that it works and hope that I didn't break something in the process of, of doing that. It's just, it's one of those things that it works when you build it once, but when you try to maintain and refactor it, it really gets It's, it's a write-only. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I want to say. It, it seems like a write-only technology. Like, you do it once and you leave it alone. Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's like Perl. <laughs> <laughs> no, Scott, I know you've written some Perl. Yeah, it just made me think of a quote that any Perl code base of significant length is indistinguishable from line noise. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so now I've written a lot of Perl in my time. I knew it. <laughs> um, okay. Let's see. So another thing I had on my list, I think I mentioned earlier, but just the push and pull for sandbox SFDX, huge. Love it. That's going to change my life. So thank you. Is it? It really is, is actually. It, it, it was actually the last is. time you did some Salesforce development? Um, I... I don't. I don't do a lot of Salesforce development. I help. I do help people though with mo with moving Put. stuff around, getting you know, moving stuff between orgs, moving stuff to production, okay. updating sandboxes, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um. So that's th this is a problem that I've had for literally a decade of my life, and Salesforce is making it a little bit better. So I thank them for that. <laughs> I welcome my new overlords. They're going to retire and they're going to implement <laughs> namespaces. Yep. Totally. Totally. <laughs> Um, we also have uh, supposedly some updates on API limits people were excited about, but I don't know any of the details. Yeah, they were kind of vague on some of it. They just kept saying limits were going to get increased. It was, I think they had some some numbers on the SOCWL changes, which I didn't screenshot, unfortunately, so I don't know what those were, but they were big changes. Um, async, they mentioned something about async, and I it, it seemed like a passing comment that the, and I think it was in the, so true to the core or some other one. They mentioned some kind of new queue for async processing, and I don't remember what that was about. But it was one of those 
kind of side comments. Was was that the the finalizer? The the maybe kind of maybe it was around the yeah. finalizer, but I, I don't remember who said it or why they said it. But I didn't pay attention enough to that just because I was distracted to know how that was different than what I've been doing, which is. I have like a, a class, like an abstract class. I think it's called like ch- uh, chained queuable or something like that. Mm-hmm. But you can create like a, a list of queuables and they will all call each other and you can chain stuff and have some logic and things. So it's, it seemed like a similar use case anyway, but maybe they're just, just maybe it's promises, but yeah, um, it's not really, it's not really a promise. I mean, promise actually has more functionality than this. This is more simple. Um, no, a list of promises that you loop through and when it's all done, you run your finalizer. Mm, promises have a lot more functionality than this. Mm. Between like the air handling and the different things they have. And so it's definitely, I mean, I just want, the thing I created was much more simple than promises. But, well, and, and also you got to separate. And I, maybe they should not have done promise. You know, they probably should not have done any promises in that demo. Because now people, I think like you, you people have, conf- they've confounded promises with the transaction finalizer. Yeah, I think I think it muddied it a little bit. Uh, you know, Ke- Kevin's shown that a few times. Uh, this library that he built and it's evolved as new language features have become available, like transaction finalizers, and and it's become more robust. But I noticed some of the chatter or chatter. There I go. <laughs> I noticed some of the discussion on the uh, on the Slack channel was very focused on promises and less focused on what he was really trying to demonstrate is what you can do with finalizers uh, attached to queuables. Well, I think it's because fi- <laughs> I want to say that fi- that finalizers is a is good tech and you can do a lot with them, but it seems like a like a natural evolution of the queable. I mean, it's almost like bringing it on par with the finish method of a batch job. That's actually that's so kind of how did, I think it, about it. it, it didn't seem maybe I'm wrong, like, but it didn't seem like oh wow, that's changing my world. I can do something I could never do because if I had that need, I probably would be in a batch context, and if I didn't. I kind of have a way of solving that with chaining and things like that. I would just chain a finalizer at the end of it. Um, So I I think the new tech was the fact that we had a new native keyword called promise or new native class called promise. It's not. That's that's a library. Yeah. It's the, the, what finalizer does for you is it is even if the queuable fails, it gives you an opportunity to react to it. So did I completely so misunderstand? An, Promise is not a native yeah, feature. It's, it's not, a, oh, no. okay, that's it's a, why. It's checked in to get that. And that's what I was it, saying. Is it became money. Yeah, it confused the crap out of me. Okay. So, I mean, effectively, think think of a, uh, it's not, it's kind of like a combination of your of your catch block and your finally block, but yeah. in, in a try catch finally. But if, but when your queuable runs, if it succeeds, your finalizer gets called and it gets called with the value, like an enum value saying that it succeeded. Mm-hmm. If it If there's an unhandled exception, that same logic gets called, but it gets called saying there was an unhandled exception. And you can then decide what you want to do with that. Whereas before, if oh, there were an unhandled yeah. exception, you're just done. Yeah. That that queuable yeah. went off into the ether. So it just gives you the ability to react to however that exited positively or negatively. Oh, yeah, because yeah, it, it passes, it passes a bad thing to use. For uh, yeah, it was, yeah. It was just, just confounded the two things. But, you know, yeah. you, Scott, I just remember now, because it passes into you a, a an instance of a finalizer context, mm-hmm. which I imagine has things, some properties on it that are like, did this succeed? Did it fail? You yeah. know, yeah. stuff like that. It, it so. includes a value de- designating its its final state. Yeah. You know, was it success or was it an unhandled exception? It, it does seem it does seem natural to use promise for that as as a scenario for that. But yeah, it was the wrong thing to use because yeah, it my focus was on people got too focused yeah. on that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because we're we're the problem is I think the problem is that we're always trying to solve that async problem. 
we're always trying to figure out how to solve the the problem of transactions of stepping on each other's toes of trying to spread ourselves out a little bit so that we're not synchronous and we're not eating up limits so higher volume yeah, yeah async is always on our brains so we see promises which solved a lot of problems in javascript and that's where our brains go we go oh we're going to solve some async problems with this and i think that's why it overshadowed the the what should have been a feature of the finalizer or at least yeah, the, I mean, the topic of the finalizer. The thing is, I mean, promise, promises, I guess, it's, it, it, it dovetails nicely with the, final, the transaction finalizer, but it also obscured the, the functionality. I think it, you know, but yeah. that's, that's fine. Um, they're both useful concepts, but... Well, l- luckily, your podcast here will clear it up. Oh, everybody. totally. Oh, it's yeah. clear, it clears sure. mud. <laughs> <laughs> that's the service we provide. <laughs> you bet. It's about as right clear. at the end when everybody's zoned uh, out. Yeah, it's about as clear as this monster park. Yeah, the fourteen percent sound. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Hey, Scott, what did you think of? Um... Oh, I like that. We should have a segment called "Hey, Scott." Hey, Scott. I know we should actually. Um, I don't know if this was specific to the back to the kind of the code. Code builder or whatever? No, the what was it called? The, the what's the the, the uh, code builder? Code but builder, but yeah. the the like the the some of the they demoed some kind of live debugging which looked pretty nice. But I, I guess that was I guess that's just as is that just standard functionality nowadays? I think that was standard. Okay, okay. But I think they were you know Salesforce and marketing they they tout all these features as if they're the new greatest thing. But it was, I think it was stuff okay. that you could do. Hey, how about Graph API or GraphQL? Sorry. I was hoping you'd mention that. I didn't get a chance to watch it, but I didn't either. I just, oh. I just heard that we have GraphQL as a part of the um, the composite API, which is, which would be great. I figured you. I, I thought for sure that was the session you were going to get into because that that was that's an integration topic if I ever heard one. So I just, I unfortunately, I, I, I didn't get. You to were it. building integrations uh, <laughs> instead of watching how to build better integrations. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, GraphQL is that's exciting. I mean, I. Is 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 it exciting? I think so because I GraphQL solves some interesting problems when you need very specific sets of data. I mean, it can turn what would be like ten API calls into one. Yeah, so there's, API, a, there's a reason a, it's gotten pretty API popular. Sugar, we'll I mean, it, it, uh, <laughs> it's but it's not sugar because sugar just makes it look better. This mm-hmm. actually will reduce your. The, your your HTTP calls across the internet by a factor of something significant. What do you think, Scott? I, I mean, yeah. It, anytime that you can pipeline multiple requests into the same overall, you know, network uh, request response pair, you're going to get benefits from that. See, Scott's making us sound smart. He, so, he, he so says here's in a way that question. people aren't going to understand. <laughs> well, I, I haven't been drinking a 14% beer. I've been drinking a really nice, you know, Friday afternoon session beer. So, um, so here's my question. Let's assume for a moment that, that Dreamforce is going to be virtual. In fact, I guess, I guess they've said all their conferences this year are going to be virtual. Yeah. So we don't just have to assume, um, you know, this is kind of a litmus test for that. Um, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, that, that'll obviously be a multi-day affair and it'll have a lot of other, a lot of tracks outside of dev and admin, but what are you guys' thoughts based on what you saw here? I was hoping that topic would come up before I had a few beers. Now I'm afraid I'll be too honest. So I'll let someone else talk. So just, okay, context. So just, just in general, like... Yeah, I think the format. This was definitely oh, better format, than, okay. the, than the... Uh, what was that? What was it, a World Tour conference or something where you ended up in that virtual well, so, lobby? So we just had um, the Higher Ed Summit. We, did, you, did you do that at all, John? No, I didn't. I didn't either. Um, but I heard good things about that. I don't know if it was the same system or not. 
Well, whatever that system oh. was that did that virtual virtual pop- dreaming was it virtual dreaming? I don't remember. I heard good things about virtual dreaming. The one yeah, that I went to that had that virtual lobby that sucked. It was horrible. You couldn't get into <laughs> sessions. It was. How do you really always... feel, John? You know, could you stop holding back, man? Come I'm on, honest. I'm gonna... I'm done. <laughs> Goodbye. Good day, sir. So, yeah, virtual <laughs> dreaming. I, I was talking to Jeremy about that the other day. It's interesting because it it was actually scheduled to uh, to be a virtual conference before any of the pandemic hit, and so. Obviously, once things changed, uh, it was somewhat serendipitous that they had already planned something that that served the current needs. But uh, and they were using some new technology there. I don't know where they got it from. Uh, I was a sponsor of that, so I was somewhat involved in it. I actually uh, thought that went well. I didn't realize that there were problems getting into. I know that like the first few hours, there were problems getting some of the conferences into the, some of the sessions, and the the organizers had to go and raise the attendee count, and that took mm. care of it. Um, I didn't see any later on, but, um, I, you know, I'll, I'll share my thoughts on the original question. You know, it, I thought that at the very, well, even going into it, I was a little concerned because the last couple of years, uh, Trailhead DX has transitioned from what I thought was an outstanding, very technically oriented developer oriented conference. The first two or three years, two years, I guess, to seemingly being taken over by marketing. And, and it was much tougher to get the depth of content that I wanted. It was more about networking and relationship building than about content to me. Yeah. And I was kind of concerned that having to very quickly, to their credit, very quickly, they had to go and put something together and compressing it into, you know, eight hours, seven hours, whatever it was, that it might actually exacerbate that. I actually found the opposite to be true. I actually found that there was more, uh, you know, material content, more uh, dense content, or not dense, but uh, good content in this than I had expected, uh, especially given the limited amount of time. So I, w- I was pleasantly surprised, except for the keynote, that there were technical issues where it was so choppy. Um, but I, you know, I, I think that they they put together something that exceeded my expectations based on last year's Trailhead DX and the short amount, the short runway to put it together. I think I'd agree with that. I I've I've felt that after that first year, it started to become more admin centric not not that i have anything against admins it's just i was like you i was hoping for that very technical environment that environment where we really dug into the weeds and we had really honest conversations about the technology and what it can do and what it can't do and and just to have access to those type of people and not get inundated with look at this new shiny we're doing all these press releases let's boost our stock you know all that kind of stuff that goes with dreamforce um I do feel like this got back to that in in a lot of ways because you had access to a lot of people who were talking live. And so they were basically putting themselves out there. Um, but a lot of the sessions I found, some of them were great and some of them weren't so great just from the technical challenges of having two people re- remotely and not. Right. It's the same challenges that Jeremy and I had when we were starting this podcast. It's better when we're in the office and we know that because we can see when someone's talking, we can see when someone wants to interject and we can we can kind of give each other that space. But when we first started out, we were stepping all over each other. I was talking over Jeremy and like constant and, and everything. And some of the sessions felt like that too. They were trying to talk, they were trying to kind of interject and it kind of really disrupted the flow of the conference itself. It wasn't as fluid as it could be. So I felt like I wasn't really getting information. I feel like there was a lot of awkward pauses. I feel like like just it just wasn't clicking on on, on some of them. Yeah, I mean that's. I think that's just inevitable, right? I yeah. mean, they're they're people are sitting in their own living rooms or bedrooms at home, and um, but I I also agree that they, I mean they they 
made you know, lemonade out of lemons for sure. I mean, this is this is a big challenge, even for a company like Salesforce, who you know a lot of resources, right? Um, but it's still challenging, and you know they're, they're so good at putting on you know just the massive parties, the in person um, events, right? They've they've mastered that uh, without a doubt. And so this was you know they had to they had to they turned a freighter on a dime and and to do these types <laughs> of things, right? And yeah, pretty good job. I mean. Um, you know, and I, I I did have high expectations. I expect Salesforce to be able to do this because they do have, I'm sure, you know, this is a big department of Salesforce. The events team, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is this is the kind of stuff they and they 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 should have. Um, what do you call them? Um, contingency, you know, plans for this type of thing. And to whatever degree they had those and they executed on them and whatever they they did a good job. It, it worked. I mean, it's, you know, you're not going to get the same, Scott, I think you might have mentioned this, but, you know, the, the hallway and the, the socializing and whatever. I mean, I, I don't know how you do that, especially when everyone's spamming their LinkedIn URLs into the chat. I mean, I don't, it just ruins all that. Well, but I, I don't we, know what, I think I don't we, got, know. we accomplished the hallway thing with Slack. I, I think I we did that yeah. with your, with your Slack yeah. group. I and, think, I think Slack filled that gap. Now, by the way, Scott, for people who aren't in the Slack, how, how would they go about <laughs> getting into this Slack we've been talking about? Well, the first thing they'd have to do is uh, consult with this guy who's been drinking very heavy beer, and uh, I think he's actually the uh, the gatekeeper, oh, John. Uh, oh, I think he's passing it to you, John. Um, that's right. Uh, you have to send me a beer, <laughs> okay. and then I'll let you in. No, you got a sales. Uh, sales oh course. God! Wow. <laughs> maybe I should take back over. <laughs> www. That's three W's. Dot forward slash community. There's a. There's a sign-up page. You just enter your email address. That comes directly to me, and I'll add you in. Unfortunately, that's just the way Slack works, and I have to do it manually, so please be patient. Uh, you know, you're always fast at it. You I don't try. have to say that. I try. No, I do, because uh, our community is global, and sometimes requests come in at 2, 3 o'clock in the that's morning, yeah, and I'm not able to do it. That's a good point. That's a good point. So, um, But yeah, no, I, I, I thought it was, you know, I don't know. I, it, it was good. It was a good event. Can, good job, Salesforce. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't. I mean, I could nitpick, but it was it was good. I enjoyed it. Yeah, like turn off the chat. <laughs> yeah, once I turned off the chat, it was good. I didn't want to see people's it's, comments. I didn't want to see their LinkedIn. I didn't want to see the the how did they change their names? Because you had to log in oh. with your profile, right? With your Salesforce profile. No, you could choose a name when you first went in. Oh, I didn't. It was just a text field for I it. I don't remember doing that, but okay. But yeah, a lot of people. It is were, funny that people figured out how to actually. And by the way, I'm talking over you. The same thing you were talking about when you guys don't see each other face to face. Apologize for that. But, um, but yeah, it's funny how people discovered to go and create or uh, delete the DOM node through uh, the development tools in the ID or in the the browser. Oh, that was to get awesome. rid of the chat window. It's you know because it worked. That, that it was is how awesome technical attendees solve the problem. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just kind of funny though. When I saw that, I was like, of course. Yep. Because even maximizing it, it was still technically running in the background. So if you maximize right. the video, it was still running. So just deleting the DOM or broke whatever JavaScript was was. Did they, did they delete it or they just decided to display none? No, I deleted the DOM. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. That was the recommendation I saw is go in and delete this node and you'll be a happier person. Oh, wow. Interesting. So that's, you know, that's a little bit of feedback for Salesforce if they're interested. I mean, it's obviously a problem they, they know about. They, yeah, I think they know that chat was, yeah, a, was a Their problem. moderators were commenting on that themselves so yeah. i mean they were just it, coming, it would be interesting to see they were coming in so Go fast ahead. and furious i don't i, I they, they really need i mean as soon as you post your linkedin they should they should, that person should be you know muted it's in, uh, immediately yeah but gosh can you imagine being the moderator i mean there had to be hundreds of people doing that in mm. quick succession you know i hear salesforce employs some good programmers maybe they can 
you know it's a little regex <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know what jeremy it's true no you're going to take them off important things like namespaces to moderate <laughs> that's a good point john that, that was fair <laughs> yeah <laughs> touche well we'll see what they do with uh with dreamforce obviously you know, it's, it's a much larger uh, uh, event for them, a much larger stage, a lot, lot broader audience. So uh, be interested to see, given an extra six months or whatever it's going to be, I guess, five months for them to organize that, what they come up with. Yeah, and, the, and these have certainly been testing grounds, these, these events they've done the past couple of months. Yeah. Well, Scott, thanks for joining us, man. This has been fun. It's, it's nice to um, have, have a friend of the show on and get your perspective on things since, since you're obviously an expert in this area. Where, um, where can people go to learn about illuminated clouds? So all, all, all these developers out there, right. Who, um, who, who, who like having tools on their computer cause they're faster. <laughs> right. uh, where, uh, where can you get to learn more about illuminated cloud? So, uh, certainly www.illuminatedcloud.com. It's going to be the main website. Uh, there's, uh, on Twitter at illum cloud, I L L U M C L O U D. Um, if you want to follow that, I post pretty much everything that happens there. Uh, and then my, uh, uh, Rose Silver Software is the, is the company that underlies the product, uh, slash illuminated cloud, the uh, YouTube channel, pretty much anytime I put out new major functionality, I, I do some type of a demo video. So you not only have new ones coming out, but if you want to see how, how key features work, uh, there's a nice backlog of, of videos that at least the last, you know, year, year and a half should be very up to date. So give you, uh, some good perspective on uh, on features in the product and uh, don't ever hesitate to reach out to me scott at illuminatedcloud.com if you have questions or just don't know where to find something or know how to do something but yeah those videos are great i i, I need to go i'm sure i'm very behind but every time i do get to, a chance to catch one you do a really good job of just really concisely you know uh displaying you know features um and yeah the, the, i think that's a good place to go just to see what the tool can do for you um and if anyone is curious, no, there's no commercial relationship here. We, there's no sponsorship. Uh, no, John and I just all. happen to be, you know, happy limited cloud users. And Scott's but a technically friend. That's a relationship, but yeah, yeah, your customer. So, but yep. yeah, it's uh, well, that's true. It, we, we actually it, we do we do, we we're both paying customers. That's but that's where the that's yeah. where the commercial relationship. There's, there's ends. no sponsorship <laughs> no. or anything. No. Yeah, nothing like that. Yep. And and that's probably the first time I've ever been called concise. But I thank oh, you. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, all right, cool. Well, John, anything from you? No, we got to wrap it up. You gave me too many beers and I got to (laughs) go. Literally. Thanks for having me, guys. Everybody stay healthy and safe. Yep. You do the same, Scott. All right. Thanks. And to that, I say good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. Yeah, I mean, that's that's it. The the punchline, the end result is, is good beer.